Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. The Democrats have botched this from day one. From November 2016, there's been a drive between them and the media for impeachment of this president. And at the end of the day, the question becomes, why the driving? Because they know they can't beat him. Because he appeals to the American people. He actually has an economy that is working. He's had a foreign policy that works. They can't beat him on the substance, so they try to beat him on making him become a bad guy, which they can't prove, and he is doing a good job. You know, this is impeachment about a president. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 8th of November, year of our Lord, 2019, and I moved it up a couple days. Sorry about that, or maybe it's good for you to have something to listen to on the weekend while you're doing projects. But uh, we have a packed weekend with family uh, coming over to the house and going to try out a new Italian restaurant in Paris, Tennessee. So I'm going to be out all weekend. So I figure we start now. We start with uh, Doug Collins. That's Representative Collins. I think he nails it. I think I've been saying that over and over. So it's an echo chamber, but that's a, rep- a Republican. And, and he's right. I mean, it's just been one long, as we used to say in Korea, Korea bullshitty da. So today's show, we're going to do a backwards again with Military Corner up front. Um I'll just talk about Veterans Day. I had some sound bites, but I'm not going to play it. Um, I'll just talk about it. It's it's an important day. It's at least a day you should stop if you weren't a vet, or if you are a vet, reach out to your friends. But we'll talk about that at the end of Military Corner. We got a little hate, and we have impeachment. We have the Mormons, which we're going to talk about first. And then we have an article that always makes me just giddy on the inside. The ABC... Spiking of Weinstein, and we're going to cover that because it goes right down the alley of why I did this podcast, our horrible, horrible media. But up front, I want to talk about the brutal slaying by the cartels, and of course, hero mother died shielding her seven-year-old daughter who survived while boy hid his siblings from gunmen in bushes and walked 13 miles for help after a cartel opened fire on Mormon family, killing nine as police Arrest a suspected drug lord. At least nine U.S. citizens, including six children who live in the Mexican border state of Sonora, were killed. Renita Miller died along with her six-month-old twins and her two other children, aged 10 and 12. Christina Langford Johnson, Don Langford, and two of Don's children, aged 11 and 3, were also killed. Christina saved her seven-month-old baby, Faith Life, by throwing the infant to the floor of the SUV. Don's son, Devin, walked 13 miles to get help from relatives reaching the community six hours later. The victims belonged to the LeBron family, a breakaway Mormon community that settled in the hills of northern Mexico decades ago. The family members were traveling in three cars from community. One mother was heading to Phoenix, while the other two were driving to Chihuahua for a wedding on Friday. Family members say one of the mothers had broken down after getting a flat tire. Mexicans, Mexico's top security official, Alfonso Duranzo, said on Tuesday, cartel gunmen may have mistaken the group's large SUVs for rival gangs. Nine of the family members were slaughtered in the massacre, and one child was still missing. Six children were wounded in the attack, and five have since been transferred to hospitals in Phoenix. Relatives say one boy, 13, managed to 
hide his wounded siblings, some less than a year old, in bushes before he ran back to the community to get help after his mother was gunned down. One of the mothers who was killed managed to save her seven-month-old baby by covering it with her body. How does our media cover it? New York Times. The New York Times burnished his reputation for hostility towards religion with a crass tweet that denigrated the American family of Mormons massacred by a drug cartel in Mexico as they were traveling in an SUV caravan on Monday. Six children and three women were killed. The Times tweeted the story out on Tuesday afternoon with negative connotation of the women and children victims. The brutal killing of nine members of an American family in northern Mexico on Monday highlights the long history of religious fundamentalist settlers in the region. Our religion reporter, Elizabeth Diaz, details their history back to the early 20th century. The initial online headline, Deck, was also hostile. Murder in Mexico. Mormon families have a long history there. Fundamentalist religious communities have a long history in northern Mexico, dating back to settlers who practice polygamy. Reaction Times Twitter post was withering. The eventual print version of the story credited not just to Diaz, but to reporter Simon Romero, Yulia Turkakowicz and Mike Baker dialed back the hostility. Colonies of refugee, colonies of refuge, a history of Mormon settlers on the southern border. The online headline deck was also softer with negative connotation. Innocence is shattered. Her story: Mormon family reels after Mexico murders. Fundamentalist groups have split from Mormon church have for years navigated life among the drug war in northern Mexico. After a heart-wrenching anecdote about how family members of the United States learned about the massacre, the Times mostly held off on callousness shown in the initial tweet uh, out of the story. The extended family struck by Monday's violence is long root in the broader community of fundamentalist Mormons who first took up residence in Mexico northern border regions late in the 19th century. Initially, the family's patriarch was part of a wave of religious rebels who headed south to practice polygamy once it was banned by the Church of Latter-day Saints. Today, with the descendants scattered across the American West, those living in La Mora are successful pecan, chili, alfalfa, and pomegranate farmers, raising children of dual American and Mexico citizenship. Only a few still practice plural marriages, but they continue to live on the observant religious community deep in the south of Mexico, most turbulent borderland. But the paper couldn't completely let go of the snide commentary in the wake of the disaster. Mr. Stadden said he has always been surprised at the contrast between the large homes that the Americans and the descendants had built in northern Mexico and the poverty that surrounded them. The American families got along well with their neighbors, he said, but the family's location in the path of Mexico gun violence has cost them dearly in the past. Two family members were kidnapped and murdered by people believed to be in the drug cartel members in 2009. Responses to this, I saw a tweet last week where someone ill-advisedly offered their assessment that we had finally reached peak New York Times. And yes, Neon Taser, what the fuck is this? Another tweeter, Mexican cartels brutally kill a family, including their children. New York Times, let me tell you why those imperial scum shits had it coming. Another, leave the New York Times to imply the victim's religion has something to do with their murders. We are, after all, talking about women and children here. When someone I'm arguing with brings up the Times as a source, I know I've won. And then Donald Trump, of course, tweeted it, that the Mexican president needs to get this fucking fixed. And Katie Pavlich brings down the truth bomb. I wonder where they got their guns, Eric Holder. 
fast and furious, my friends. Our This is America Today goes back to that era as somebody actually utters something's worse than Benghazi. You know, I, I am not a super devout Christian. I'm a believer. And I pray. I pray when I eat. I pray when I go to sleep each night. But I get very defensive with religion because these are the same people that Dick danced with the killing of al-Baghdadi, astute religious scholar. They defend radical Islamists who throw gay people off roofs, and by saying defend, they don't even report it. You don't hear about that. But every time a Christian or Mormon gets injured, whatever, this is how they report it. Even when ISIS was raining terror down on other Muslims, it was America's fault. Not Obama, who created the vacuum. It was just America's fault. And this, once again, doesn't surprise me. But I got to point it out. Let that have been family, gay commune in Mexico got killed by cartel. What would that headline have been? I mean, really, folks, the reality is they don't want to ever validate something that comes out of Trump's mouth. The criminals are rapists and murderers. That was the statement. They've lied for four years now. Um, I watch Why We Hate, or my wife watches it, and they only have African-American or gay scholars come on. And they always play Trump stuff. And they go from Nazi to Trump. I mean, they do it on purpose. It's all subliminal. But they played that. The way he talks about immigrants. He's not talking about immigrants. He's talking about criminals that are immigrating here illegally and setting up shop. I mean, all you have to do is read a fucking paper of El Paso, Arizona border towns. These cartel dudes are bad dudes. And they are rapists and murderers. There is talk that one of the children was raped before it was killed. But our media? No. You can't do it. I mean, go back to Mormons with Romney. Those weird people. Somehow in our media's striving to fucking promote democratic politics and candidates, they have lost their humanity. Regardless of why they're there, murdering women and children should always be politics off, this is horrible. But they treated this just like they treat, treat Israeli senator settlers killed by Palestinians. Palestinians are the victims. You can't judge them for murdering people. It's our fault. That, that's how they play it. And when you really break it down, you wouldn't do that. For Islam or atheists. But when all your reporters 
coddle Islamic terrorists and are atheists, this is the reporting we get. So, then before we go into military corner, it's a kind of a long soundbite, but I was really surprised. And once again, he's doing a book tour. But Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle went on The View, and I would be remiss if I didn't play it. Because once again, I don't like Don Jr. I used to like Kimberly Guilfoyle when she was on The Five. And that was a show I watched about three or four years ago. I was into it until the host got caught, sexual harassment, and Juan Williams just wouldn't shut his fucking mouth, and I couldn't do it anymore. But, folks... He got some good blows in. But this is, once again, what The View is and what ABC is. So I'm playing it. We're going to do Military Corner and our college crazy and our gay shit and all that stuff. And then we'll come into ABC. But this is a good summation of what ABC is. And ABC just represents CBS, as we see, which is part of the scandal of ABC. And we'll see what NBC is like. Our media is just a propaganda arm for the DNC, and they're hot garbage, because these kind of questions would never, you would never get this froggy with a Democrat. So let's listen to Don Jr. We'll go into a music break, because it's kind of a long soundbite, and uh, then we'll come back in to Military Corner. Ten tickets out of about 150, so we figured we had to stack the deck a little bit, right? Well, you guys are here. We're going to get to Trigger the Book in a moment and sure. your relationship. But you did something that triggered a lot of people yesterday, including myself, uh, by releasing the name of the whistleblower. Uh, the whistleblower whose complaint has now led to impeachment hearings. Um, the whole point of releasing a name is to intimidate someone, to threaten someone, uh, and to scare other people from coming out. That's something that dictators do. I've lived in China. I've seen that firsthand. That's not what America does. That's not who we do. We don't. We stand by our people. Why did you want to release the Listen, name? I, I, I think... <laughs> you know, I, I think the reality of the answer is the whistleblower's name was on a little website called the Drudge Report a couple of days ago. It was in Real, Real Clear Politics. I literally quote tweeted an article that had the guy's name in the title of the article. So that whole thing is nonsense, but I I wish the outrage would be equal. I mean, there was no outrage when, you know, my family got an exploding letter of, you know, with white powder substance in it. You know, they're protecting a guy, you know, in the CIA and there's great outrage, but when your family gets something, it's there. And that's a big part of the book, which is, it's not a level playing field in terms of he, outrage. He, we do he, live in an outrage but, culture. But he has to be anonymous. Your family did not. There's a difference. But, but the, it was he, literally millions of people, and for days he's been out there in the media. But you know, make to, it to right. not. It, so what's the difference it's between different me when tweeting the about it? Son does it though, isn't oh, it? Oh, oh, why? I mean, I'm a, I'm a private citizen putting this out there. If everyone in the room would have read it, I don't see any difference whatsoever. So it seems to me, and again, my point of view on this, it seems to me that everyone is outraged that his name is out there because now people are saying, okay, he's tied to Joe Biden while Joe Biden was working in the White House. It was a you're a lawyer, yes, and, and we we've known yeah. each other. You were a former prosecutor. I mean, did you advise um, your boyfriend that it 
is a federal crime to out a whistleblower? I didn't advise him that it was a federal crime, but I did come out of the bathroom and say I left you alone for 10 minutes. What happened when Mama Cedra's gone? Because yeah. by the well, it's not a federal crime. Reason. It's only a federal However, crime for the IG to do it. That's yeah. in the statute. Well, well, so that's, you well, can't, no, that's not that's true. The, you can't that's a lie. It is not true. Let me show you the other side. Okay, stop. Everybody stop, Ms. Cedra. It's hard to hear. Under the U.S. Code, Section 1505, it is a crime. It's not accurate. Just ask where you call. My law degree says it is. But nevertheless, Mr. Trump, a lot of Americans in politics miss character. And a lot of people miss the soul of this country. You and your family have hurt a lot of people and put a lot of people through a lot of pain, including the Khan family, who is a gold star family that I think should be respected for the loss of their son. Does all of this make you feel good? I don't think any of that makes me feel good, but I do think that we got into this because we wanted to do what's right for America. My father has been working tirelessly to bring back the American dream, who've watched politicians with no business experience send that American dream abroad to countries that hate our guts. He's brought jobs back. He's created unprecedented levels of unemployment numbers for African Americans, oh. for Hispanic oh, Americans. Yeah. This is fact. You can argue with this is fact. No, it's, it's not fact. For, for women, if you got the question, let me finish it. Yeah. For women, all-time high startup businesses. So I understand that he's controversial. I understand that he's offended a lot of people. But I also understand he took on the establishment, and that's the premier sin in American politics these days to do that. I do want to know the question. I understand. I'm not happy that people interpret it that way. I don't think that's our intention. And again, I will let you speak. Character in politics, I believe, is important. It was how I was raised. It's the way I view the lens of America. And I understand what you're saying about policy, but when you're talking about attacking gold star families who have given the ultimate sacrifice more than any of in this room have given, and you put them through pain, does it well, make you feel like And I know he like does a lot with gold star it? families, and he calls a lot of those gold star families, and he has a lot of care for those and people. But he's, he he, when, he's under, when he's under constant attack by the same people, when he's under attack by the establishment, when he's under attack by this, the reality is this, he's a counterpuncher, and as a conservative, I would hope that you would appreciate that conservatives haven't been known for fighting back for a very long time. They've ceded ground to the liberals and the liberal elite for decades by not actually fighting back. So I understand we can keep going back to character. I, I think, think he has great character. I think my family has character. Her father. I, I understand I that, and I'm think, sorry about that. And they, they did have differences. I agree with that. But, but I think just... just and, I, and again, I'm sorry for the loss. I think you lost you your aunt huh? last night, so I do apologize I for that as well. last night. Yes, I did. McCain Morgan. Um, thank you. Uh, I just... It's just, for me... It, it would not have been worth it. This would not have been worth it. And I think people can go to the moment when my dad had stopped someone from saying Obama was a Muslim and the pain, inflicting pain on so many people wouldn't have been worth it to me or my family to the White House. So I just want to know, is it worth it? Well, listen, there, I, I think it depends on the hat that I'm wearing. You know, for me as a citizen, as a father, as a father of kids in New York City, you know, it, it hasn't exactly been, you know, peaches and cream for us either. But you know what, it is worth it. When I do go around the country, and I see people who are affected by these policies, who are getting to live their American dream again, who are seeing wage growth for the lowest levels go up. When I see it happening with those people, and they tell me their stories, how they're so happy mm -hmm. that they voted for my father, that they're so happy that he actually had the guts to take on those people, to not just accept the status right. quo, to not just I accept it. They tell me their stories, how they're so happy mm -hmm. that they voted for my father, that they're so happy that he actually had the guts to take on those people, to not just accept the status right. quo, to not just I accept it. I was so. Yeah. Um, so here's what I would say. I, I understand. I know your father for, uh, for so many years. <coughs> I considered him, uh, yes, and your grandmother. And I tell you, no finer human being. I considered him my friend. 
I miss him. I understand your loss. Yesterday was the anniversary of my mother passing. I lost my father Thanksgiving night. He woke me up with a kiss and said, Princess, I know this is a hard day for you. It breaks my heart to hear anybody say anything about your father. I understand that. And I know how difficult it is. And I know how difficult it is for him. When his everybody is attacking his family, they're out in front of our apartment, they want to put him in jail. I, under, I understand that, having lost both my parents to cancer. This is tough. I would like there to be more civility. Can somebody just say they're sorry? Can somebody just say they're sorry? And I honor your father's service. So I, I, my final note, and then I, I don't have any more questions for you, is just if you believe that, and Kimberly, I did, I did, we worked together, and I do know you. Try and bring civility back. Then you can do it. You have this. You're in the White House, and you're right. Country like that. Do you want to say that? We've all, we've all done things. They don't like the that we regret. I mean, if we're talking about bringing a discourse down, Joy, you've worn blackface. Whoopee. No, you I said I'm that sorry, Roman Polanski. I'm sorry, and don't. You, if you, you said do that it. Roman Polanski, it wasn't rape, rape when he raped a child. So let's, I'll, let's okay. talk about so, yeah, no, Let's freak. talk Come about on, this. So you want to bring this up? The yeah. question came up. I did not about, go in blackface, please. No, she was not in blackface. Thank you. Sorry. Listen, being black, I recognize blackface. This okay. I can say. Okay. <laughs> Now that you've broken this piece of ice, because I guess this is the fight you wanted. I, it's not the fight yeah, I wanted. But if we're because talking about you, character, we're talking about these things. Are you things, questioning my character? I'm not no, questioning your character. I'm talking about, okay. you're questioning my father's character. I'm and not, I say, I, I'm we sorry, all have I didn't question things. anybody. I simply mm -hmm. said that when you're talking about the, your father's taking more heat than anybody else, that it's not so. Instead... As a president? And when, yes, Come as on, a president. Uh, yes. ridiculous. He's getting crushed. I think, I think, He's I think a the president. Part 5 took a lot more heat than your father has taken at his hand. Right. Uh, name wait, a president wait, who's taken wait, more wait, heat than wait, my everybody father. Everybody stop. Hold up. Hold up. Hold now, um, recently you've been very outspoken about how Hunter Biden has benefited from mm -hmm. nepotism. Yes. And you say, I wish my name was Hunter Biden. I could make millions off of my father's presidency. Yeah. Um, and your father <laughs> tweeted this. He said, uh, encouraging people to, your father encourages people to buy your book. Um, I think that's benefiting from your dad's uh, presidency. But um, not that my opinion matters, but let's talk about 2020 because you yeah. do talk about 2020 in your book. Um, the show? You, uh, no, 2020. I get that I'm the son of a rich guy from New York. I understand that. My father has done a lot. You know, I've benefited from that as Hunter Biden has. The difference is we did that as a private company. When we got into international politics, the second my father took, you know, won the presidency, he said we will not do new foreign deals going forward. Hunter Biden utilized his father's vice presidency to magically end up on a board in Ukraine with a language he doesn't speak, on a business he knows nothing about, for 83000 a month. If I did that, you guys would lose your mind. Well, Understandable. Can I, can, and you'd can be I right. push back on that but, a little but, bit? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive our King. Let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. 
Corner. Here are the two Army war crime cases Trump is reportedly going to take action on. Now, I was able to confirm yesterday from the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief, that action is imminent, especially on the two cases of Clint Lawrence and Matt Gulslin, Fox News host Pete Hedgeth first said. The President, as the Commander-in-Chief, has a lot of latitude under the UCMJ to dismiss case or change a sentence, and from what I understand, that's what's ha- what will happen shortly. Remains unclear that exactly the President's action in the cases will be. Lawyers for the two soldiers told Army Times that they asked the President to disprove the finding in one case and dismiss the charge in the other. Second the Army spokesman did not respond to requests for comment Monday morning from First Lieutenant Clint Lawrence is serving 19-year sentence for murdering, murder in military prison on Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. He ordered, ordered an enlisted soldier to fire an unarmed Afghan motorcyclist in 2012. Army Green Brain Major Matthew Golston is charged with murder in the 2010 death of alleged Afghan bomb maker. Um, we've covered a lot of these cases, and for the record, I, I had planned to do this Army Times inspired Veterans Day <laughs> segment, but we've already covered everything in both Army Times. I had both Army Times, but um, you know, I'm torn on these because I don't think the Commander in Chief should get involved. He should let military justice go its course. Um, and that's not a dig on Trump, but it's it's once again we convene Article Thirty Two hearings, and then we have court martials. And it's like a court. So if I'm going to criticize the left for their inability to punish people of their own and allow uh, illegal aliens to walk out the back door of Portland courthouses, um, I have to do the same for Trump. He probably should let this one lie, but who knows. Army's investigating the death of a rising star paratrooper on Fort Bragg. 
Um, Sergeant Matthew D. Jotsowitz died at roughly 9 p.m. on Halloween at his barracks. The soldier's death was not training-related, according to a division spokesperson. Burns said he was unable to discuss the facts. The 23-year-old from Hackensack, New Jersey, was an infantryman assigned to 2nd Battalion, 501st Parachute, Empty Regiment, 1st Brigade, 82nd Airborne Division. Sergeant Jackowitz represents the very best of our nation. Um, he was revered by his fellow paratroopers and was a superb non-conversion officers. We are focusing on caring for his friends and family after they mourned this tragic loss. Jackowitz listed in 2014 and spent a five-year career at Fort Bragg. Um, once I find out more, I'll put it out, but I haven't heard anything on what really happened. VA is taking note of alarming burn pit trans and wounded warrior program survey. Disturbing trend-related exposure to burn pits while deployed recently detailed in wounded warrior project survey has been noted by the Department of Veterans Affairs, but more research is needed before any changes to presumptive illness and benefits can be considered. The VA currently lacks the scientific evidence to establish a causal, a causal, relationship between exposure to burn pits and variety of illnesses. At Brookings Institute Forum last week, WWP survey clients to the burn pit exposure. We're learning a lot about it. We won't stop until we get some of the answers to questions on whether presumptive illnesses can be approved for veteran exposed to burn pits. It is a very, very big focus for us as National Academy of Science. Of the more than 35,900 respondents, about 70% said they were definitely exposed to their time of service to burn pits and other sources of toxins. About 30% said they registered with the VA burn pit registry, but only 9% had actually sought treatment, the survey said. Um, I still haven't done it. My wife's on me. I really need to sign up for it because the burn pit was right in the perimeter of Kandahar. I don't know if I have. You know, I mean, I, I got disability for sinuses. I uh, don't know why. In the weird math that comes up for disabilities, you know, knee 40%, back 40%, which should be way higher because it's been fused and now it's destroyed. Neck 25%, and sinuses were 40%. And then you end up with 80% on the back end. Um, but I don't know how that math works. Everybody we've ever talked with, when you add it up, he's got like 900% disability, and they say 80 um, but I know it had to be negative on you because it was caustic. There were days when the wind came. It was miserable. I mean, you did breathe in a lot of shit. So it'll be interesting to see where this, where this goes. And if you're like me, get off your ass. Fill up the fucking form. I just need to go. I bookmarked it and I just never did it. Marines buying dozens more amphibious combat vehicles as test phase nears. The U.S. Marine Corps recently awarded $120 million to BAA System Land and Armament, LP, for another 30 new amphibious combat vehicles as the service readies for initial operation test. The Corps in 2018 selected BAA, BAE along with teammate Aveco Defense Vehicles to build a replacement for its aging assault amphibious vehicle. The ACV is advanced eight-wheeled vehicle equipped with a new six-cylinder, 700,000-horsepower <clears throat> engine, which provides a significant power increase over the legacy fleet currently in service, according to BAE. It is a third order under the low-rate initial production. Um, badass vehicles, man. They're pretty fucking cool. Old airplanes find new life in Tucson's famed boneyard. Those that have been with the show a long time, and Tom and Tucson, if you're still listening, you know, I... Used to drive by that. I think it's pretty one of the coolest thing. Before many Tucson, 
Tucsonians, I guess that's how you say it, have even started their morning commute. A pair of aircraft mechanics are already crouching over the open cockpit of an F-18 Hornet fighter jet, disarming the ejector seat by removing the explosives. Nearby, a towing vehicle pulls a P-3 Orion <clears throat> to, the, to have its fuel drain. Then they hook up the different F-18s and haul it to the wash rack. Meanwhile, about a mile away, a small army of specialty painters fans out across dirt lot to spray protective coating on rows of mothballed C-130s. Welcome to the typical Thursday morning at 309th Aerospace Maintenance and Regeneration Group, Tucson's most famous four-square-mile parking lot with roughly $34 billion worth of military might. In May, AMARG restored a B-52 Stratus Forces Stratofortress bomber to active duty after more than a decade in storage. Now workers in the facility are preparing dozens of retired F-16 Fighting Falcon fighter jets to fly again. And this article goes on for a long time, but it's just amazing what they do. During the fiscal year alone, AMARG reclaimed 5,744 different parts from aircraft in the collection that saved... $406 million. So, um, it's, if you see that, wow, it's just so many airplanes. After 18 years, another airplane story, J-Star's surveillance plane is coming home from the Middle East, and it's hard to believe it's been up there forever. I mean, you figure it flies at 42,000 feet. This thing the J-STARS aircraft have flown 10,938 sorties, equaling 114,427 flying hours. Average flight was 11 hours while they're in the air. And it's mostly National Guard. Um, pretty interesting. Iconic stealth aircraft is headed to the Reagan Presidential Library to hang out with the GOATs. The restored jet, tail number 803, will be unveiled during an annual <clears throat> Reagan National Defense Forum on December 7th. We're deeply grateful to Lockheed Martin for the outstanding assistance in restoring the aircraft to such a meaningful display, blah, 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 blah. Nicknamed the unexpected guest, the jet going to the library flew more than 78 combat sorties, more than any other F-117 combined, according to officials, production uh, produced 59 operational 117s and five devel- developmental prototypes. The U.S. didn't public acknowledge the stealth forever. We already know that. Let me see if I can find out. Um, they have a part near the F-117 Nighthawk has been spotted over the Nevada desert occasionally in recent years. And I will tell you, Gigi Coke and I <clears throat> were in Tonopah. Is it Tonopah? No, Indian Springs. Indian Springs, Nevada, north of Vegas, cutting over to Shasta, and it flew over the fucking road. I swear to you, I saw it. We stopped for breakfast that morning and talked to the people. It was a nice little diner, and they said, yeah, yeah, they do. Um, Technically categorized as flyable stories, the remaining F-117s and the Air Force infantry are tucked away at a test and training range in Tonopah, Nevada. But the National Defense Authorization Act of 2017 called for the removal of up to four 117s every year. Congress had gave authority in 2007 to keep a total of, or to retire a total of 52 from the inventory because they couldn't fly anymore. The aircraft that is going there literally dropped bombs on Panama. So, that's pretty fucking cool. 
Hollywood gives Army faux Russian T-72 tanks to train against. The U.S. Army has long used visual mods. They do out in the NTC. It's pretty amazing. To develop new visual modification kits, the National Guard Bureau contacted Hollywood special effects company called West Fuchs that has worked on movies such as Taken, James Bond, blah, blah, blah. The new kits provided by West Tech take Humvees and make them look like T-72s and BTR-90s. And these are a lot more souped up looking than the ones in the Mojave. So that's pretty good. With holidays coming, this is a sad thing, Air Force space available mail will take longer to get to Europe over the holidays. Starting November 16th, space available mail sent from the U.S. to Air Force Service Post Office in Germany, Belgium, and Netherlands will once again cross the Atlantic by boat, taking 45 days to arrive. So if you have loved ones over there, you better get that shit in the mail. With Veterans Day coming, Kohl's doubles military discount. If you're a Kohl's lover, you're probably already a fan of Kohl's cash system coupons and Military Monday program, which gives military members 15% off every Monday. But now the store is sweetening the deal, not just for Veterans Day. On Monday 11th, officials announced today in a news release, starting Thursday, November 7th and running through the 11th, Kohl plans to double its regular military discount and give veterans, active duty members, and families 30% off. The store also plans to reduce a variety of deals over that period, giving $10 in cold cash for every 50 spent, which I don't like Kohl's, but that's pretty good. And leads me to all the places that are. Academy Sports, 10% off from the 27th to the 11th. Should have probably done that one better. Albertsons. 10% off. Alpine Rings, 30% off from the 7th to 12th. Amazon Prime, November 6th to 11th. Veterans, active duty troops, and Guard Reserve members can get an Amazon Prime membership for $79. That's $40 off. Uh, AMC Theaters is offering a discount. Uh, Amtrak, A fees, of course. Uh, let's see. Big Owls. Let's see stuff that's national. Cabela's, 5%. That's the best you could do, Cabela's. That kind of sucks. Um, let's see. Enterprise. Food Lion. Oil change. GM Military Discount is going to give a discount. Goodyear is going to give one. Great Clips. Home Depot. Home Depot. Uh, is offered to all other military member veterans on Memorial Day, Fourth of Day, blah, 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 blah. But you already get 10% off, so that's kind of false. Jiffy Lube, Lowe's, which their program sucks. If you haven't done that, you have to go fill out shit. Now I just give them my name. They give it to me. Planet Fitness, uh, November 8th to 15th, all veterans and active duty personnel are invited to work out. Bring a workout buddy at no additional charge and relax after your workout and free hydro massage and chair massages. Plus, honor the veterans of your life with 20% off Harry and David or Simple Chocolates, which I don't know how that goes to Planet Fix Fitness. Publix, 10% off on Veterans Day. Safeway, um... Sports Clip, the free haircut. Sprint is offering Sprint perks to military members. Super 8 Motel, Target's going to give 10% on that day, which really surprised me because Target's some fucking socialist shit. Under Armour, 20% off at the store. 
Verizon. One-year membership of Amazon Prime free when you get a phone. That's not really a deal. You're already doing that. Walgreens is going to give a 20%. And they don't have the other ones, but um, I know Golden Corral. I'm pretty sure Golden Corral gives free meals that day. Um, at least R does here. So those are some of the deals you can get on Veterans Day with this also, I forgot I had this one. Vets with disability rating can get lifetime access to over four international parks for free. Uh, from a limited menu, though, oh, so see, you knew we were existed. Da, 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 seven piccata honor. Da, 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 forget about it. Jokes, jokes, jokes. A vet scour online listicles and search for some of the well-deserved November 11th freebie. It's worth repeating that the excellent offer from the National Park Service. In participation with the U.S. Department of Interior and Fish and Wildlife Service, among others, the NPS continues to offer free lifetime access passes to over 400 national parks at 2,000 recreation sites worldwide as long as you have a 10% disability. Vets can receive the lifetime pass on the spot at any federal recreation area where passes are issued by presenting a form of government-issued ID along with documentation providing a service-connected disability. For a 10% processing fee, veterans can order a pass online. So that's a neat thing right there. So all you disabled vets out there, um, if you're into parks like I am, that's pretty cool. Which gives me to my closing on Vets Day. You know, Vets Day is weird for veterans. You know, it used to be during the Bush administration, they wanted you to wear your medals, and my wife would make me put my bronze star medals on and walk around, and I felt like a douche nozzle. I think the older you get, the more it means, so to speak. And a lot of people confuse it with the fallen and everything, and people act like dicks online. I don't really care. If a veteran died, then he's your veteran on Veterans Day. Yeah, I should pay respect to him. I mean, I always think of the guys that were my friends that died. On Memorial Day and Veterans Day, it just seems to be what it is. But I think the older you get, I don't do Facebook messages like I used to, but I do think of the people and I think of the deployments. You know, I've been watching MASH, which I don't know why. I never watched it, but I've been watching it. And I was telling the wife this morning, it's very interesting the feelings you get the older you are out. So, I mean, I'm I'm at the 15-year mark, or 14 years. Uh, retired and <clears throat> part of it is missing the camaraderie the uniform which i never thought i'd say having a serious purpose but it's mixed in with a lot of sad memories guys that died times i was alone talking to my wife on a phone overseas and just wanted to slash my wrist with a fucking butter knife so it's always kind of weird, you know, I, I I always get asked, why don't you do VFW and things like that. When I go into VFW, it really reminds me of a day room, and day rooms remind me of sadness, because I was a loser without a TV, who was a barracks rat, until I got married, and I would just sit in that day room and watch reruns, and go, my life sucks, I don't have a car, I mean, I was in Alaska, so I probably wouldn't have got a car, but I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, there wasn't a lot to do, I went to a lot of movies, took the bus, it, it was kind of depressing. So there is some depressing in it. But 
I always tend to reach out to a vet, somebody, say, hey, we are from, I like to say, an elitist society. And I know that's going to hurt some liberal ears, but you're with people who serve for a higher-than-themselves thing, this country. And most of them went and got shot at, mortared, lived in really crappy things, went hungry, froze, went days without real sleep. Everybody who ever put on a uniform has sacrificed. <clears throat> so it it makes me think of that society, that fraternity of amazing people. I mean, from doctors, fucking master's degrees. I mean, just people that, you know, I had privates that were smart as fuck, could do anything they wanted. But they went in with help for their college to pay it off. And then they fell in love with the service and stayed. So it's neat we have this day. And it's one day a year. It'll get ruined by something. And I'll report it in the next podcast. There'll be somebody on MSNBC or CNN say some fucked up shit. But in the end, uh, reach out to a vet. you got neighbors next to you. Reach out to them. Send a text to friends. Whatever. Um, it's important, especially now with the lack of service in our country, that we do recognize those people who do go out and stand on that wall so that we can continue to worry about pronouns. Yeah, pronouns, which brings us to college fucking crazy. Government runs things is what that is trying to but there's plenty of examples of socialist governments that do it way more efficiently and where everybody is covered. But you won't concede that point. So the, the thing that we disagree on is that that healthcare is run so much better and the wait times are, you know, just fine, you know. If, if you have a broken bone in Canada, it's literally like a three-week wait just to get an x-ray on it. Where do you get that evidence from? From Canada. <laughs> okay, I, dude, I lived in the Netherlands. Okay. I was on, there's, there's no fucking such thing as a three-week three waiting list for a broken. They had a local doctor that I went to and could just knock on their door, and they saw me immediately in the neighborhood. Where do you get this information? Because from from everything that you're telling me, because that research is, like, right. I teach you. Right. Okay. Yes. I know what all the evidence says. Right. You're spouting a rhetorical bullshit okay. that you're pulling out of your ass. I'm literally not. You can look this up. Like you literally can go Where? Find this. What's your sources? What's your I evidence? I find it right now, man. Like, I don't know why you're coming. We're literally just a student org on campus. I don't know why you're but coming. But you're a dumb and... student organization that's peddling bullshit. Then don't Big come. Big government scares. Then don't come. Big government scares. Then don't come. Big government scares. Then don't come. What's the point of this message? Big government scares. What's hard to like understand about that? A lot. So okay, so we support. Because you're, you're so we support the big government scares. I'm trying to tell you. What's scares scary what? About it. I'm literally trying to tell you what's scary about it. So one of the things that we support is the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, right? And so why are you why are you displacing to the right to bear arms? What the fuck does that have to do with? You're asking me why big government scares, and I'm literally telling you. All right, let's talk about the Second Amendment. Let's talk about the Second Amendment. No, you're ignorant. You said, why does big government scare? So I try to tell you why we think big government scares. You can't like, tell why me. Are you saying you this? are coming out here and propagating this propaganda, right? 
You don't have any fucking evidence. I, I push you on it, and you're like, oh, let me look at my phone real you, quick. You said, why does Big you Up Upstairs? You said, you what have, does this mean? You just you have empty said, talking points. You literally said... You don't have evidence. You're not even letting me speak. You said, what do, you said Big Government Scares, what does this mean? I said, so, what we say by Big Government Scares is that we support the Second Amendment. And then you said, oh, why are you talking about the Second Amendment? You why are what I have to say. We were talking about health care, so it applied to health care. I'm talking about this poster, and you're talking about this poster, and it's like, dude, they don't all mean the same thing. It's not all. We're not healthcare. We're not an organization founded on healthcare. No, we're not an organization founded on healthcare. And if you want more information on the Supreme Court, this is what's going on. And if you want to get involved in the second these cards, let's talk about the second one. And if you have any more questions, you have an unlimited right to bear arms. That's what the that's what the Second Amendment guarantees you. If 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 you're talking about so your you Rand should have Paul rocket politics, launchers. Should. I'm not a Rand Paul like we shouldn't have any regulation on the right to bear arms. That's okay, not what's what your argument, dude. I'm just like so. One of the things that is being proposed a lot is just to ban all semi-automatic weapons. I don't yes. think so. I don't think that's realistic because like. Over 90% of firearms are semi-automatic weapons. That'd be a good idea to get that amount of guns out of people's hands. I disagree. Why? Because I think that... Why do you need a semi-automatic... Why do you need an assault rifle to defend yourself? Because... It's because even of the people that are, have legal weapons. So I think... What? So I think the first thing is everybody... Oh, it's about hunting, and it's about protecting, you know, from an intruder. And that's not what the Second Amendment was there for. It was written from a tyrannical government that has happened numerous times in, that in was the history 200 of the years world. ago when we didn't have an army, well, right? We, so they needed to arm we, the populace. Yes. It's not 1776. But that's not who it was written for. You're right. And so that's why we have made regulations on what should and shouldn't be owned. They didn't we have semi-automatic weapons them. back then. So it's just for Every country that's and, banned semi-automatic weapons that don't have mass shooting. Do see, you not see the statistics? See, well, the problem is that those countries don't have the same uh, population and gun ownership that we do. And so I think... Because ours is out of control. Well, so I think part of the problem is if you have this, like, mandatory gun buyback, so we don't have a gun registry like a lot of those countries did. They know who had guns Which specifically. Which would be a really good idea to have a Okay, gun but we don't. So if you're talking about let's just do a mandatory buyback, we don't know who has guns. We don't know who... So are we just going to go door to door, send police through people's homes, and, like, look for guns? The, the people who are willing to give up guns no, are one gun thing. buyback is when you turn in your weapon. Because right, but, like, for people... Okay, so for, so, so for law-abiding citizens to do that, great. For the people that are planning on, like, I don't know, like, all the gangs, the people who want to commit mass shootings, they're just going to turn in their guns? That's why we have police. Okay, we have police now, and it, it's not stopping them. So, like, what's a mandatory buyback going to do to stop it? We already have police, and like the response times are insane to try and stop these people. And then you see what happened in Florida. The police never even went into the school. They just because they had a semi-automatic weapon, and they were way more out-armed than the police were out-armed. Okay, so if you didn't have that semi-automatic weapon, that event would have never happened. Okay, but in, in a bunch of these cases, the weapon was obtained illegally anyway. So first of all... Correct. which okay. is why we shouldn't even be selling them at all. So if they're, obtained, have a if they're obtained illegally, how is more laws going to stop a guy who got a gun illegally anyway? Because these laws have all worked. But they didn't already. The laws we have didn't Every work other country that has them has stopped the mass shootings. And you continue to persist in this like it can't be done. And the factual... I mean, you can name Australia. Australia. Fucking all of Europe. Australia right? like, turned it's in under like... Fucking all of Europe, guns. dudes. 
fucking all of Europe. I lived in Amsterdam for three. Yes, at this point it does come to that because this ignorance is stopping. That's really sad, man. We're just students on campus, and you work. But you're propagating. But we're just trying to have a conversation, and you're just swearing at us. I don't want to hear this Trump bullshit. Where it's the end of it's the end. You brought up Trump. It's end of the PC talk. You brought up Trump. This is a nonpartisan group. I'm not going to be nice about this anymore. This is a nonpartisan group. People are dying. You're never nice. Neither are you. And you didn't bring up any facts. You spout nonsense. You brought up Trump. You are spouting nonsense. I'm trying to talk about issues, and then you're like, you don't have to care about anything, and you just act like you don't have any evidence for the shit that you're spewing. I'm saying this is, and then when I present you with the factual evidence, but it worked in here, and I said, but this is why it is different everywhere because they had they had gun registries. It's no different here. It is different, and I told you why. How is it different? We don't have a gun registry. Criminals are all of those can be implemented. Okay, but they're not talking about that. We, we actually have to talk about, instead of this, like, emotional, we need to, like, you think that I just want people shot. You can take, yeah, whatever you ridiculous. want. Here, this is more and, information. Like, yes, or if you want to get involved, you can fill one of these out. We could, like, add okay. you into our group chat. Every single thing that you say is a strong argument. Uh, yeah, yeah, just fill it out. We'll other countries it. that did mandatory buybacks had one already. So and it worked. And it had guns. So let's implement both of them. Yeah, no, they knew fine. So, okay, so let's take it a step further. So instead of doing the mandatory buyback first, we're going to do a gun registry first. So the people who are law-abiding citizens... In Ohio, there was a gun registry. Ever since I was 12, there was a gun registry. As soon as, I, as, soon as my dad got his shotguns, he had a one-week waiting period, and he had to register that he I bought... I mean, that's a state law. I don't, I'm not going to say... A lot I know of states the, have that. It's not in Iowa. I, I have well, my I was concealed carry. Well, I was behind, isn't it? <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I have my concealed carry license. I didn't have to to register my guns. Okay, so that would be in Iowa. Yeah. And that would be, in my opinion, that's some pretty gross negative. Okay, and, and you can think that, and that's, like, totally fine. That's You're right to think that. I'm just saying, if so if we start this gun registry in Iowa, and people who are law-abiding citizens go register their guns, that's great. But the people who are trying to commit crimes who don't want their guns registered, and there's plenty of people, law-abiding citizens, that don't want their guns registered. And because... Whatever, and so you can't just say whatever. No, I'm just saying their guns registered because people like you have told them if they get their guns registered, then the government's going to come and take away their guns. That's what you're. That's what you want to do. I want to get rid of assault weapons. What's an assault weapon? Don't play this game, man. No, exactly. And if you want any. Tell me, that, that's not an actual classification of a firearm. <laughs> There's semi-automatic rifles. <laughs> Why? Explain this paradox to me. Okay. Thanks, have a nice Why, day. when you sign up for the military, do you have to go through special training? You don't just sign up for the military and you get an assault weapon, right? You go through special training. Well, the, the weapons used, so the, like, the, the AR-15, this weapon of war, is not... It is a weapon weapons. of war! That's what it was designed... What was it designed to do? To kill people. Fast! Yes. Right! That's the point! This conversation's over. If this is how you're going to be... You work at the university. You should not be treating students this way. You are You are peddling crap. I'm, we're trying to have a discussion, and you're disrupting the entire IMU, and you work here. That's you're ridiculous. presenting crap! I'm just Why can't I call table? you out for your crap? You're part of the call-out culture. I'm trying to talk to you about yeah, it. We're, we're good. fine. Um, right, if you, you want any more information, we'd be happy to talk to you. By people who were not as good as Here's this is more information on our student org. If you'd like to read it. Well, we're four minutes over when we had the table. We're at Turning Point USA. If you want to get involved, you can fill out one of these. 
Oh, is that that event that was upstairs? Yeah. That is a college professor from fucking Iowa talking to students. And you wonder why we have so much division in America and attack on conservatives? Wow. Then we have this one. A student at Weber State University recorded his debate instructor suggesting that space travel is related to race and that it could be argued that space is not real because it's one of many white fantasies. The instructor, who also caught on video defending and complimenting a student presentation, suggesting that all white people should be sent to outer space. When the courting students question the argument, the instructor suggests that the presenting students do not have to answer his questions because he's white. I'm not going to break it down, but yeah, that's a thing. It's a long article. I couldn't find the soundbite, but... I was already playing an eight-minute one, so I really, really couldn't do it. But that that just... It's just like time is racist because of white people and shit. I mean that that they you just never run out of angles, do you people? You just fucking never run out of angles. Tulane students vote for higher tuition to support marginalized students. Yeah, you can vote for shit like this when you don't pay for your college. Your your parents do. Uh, student government leaders at Tulane University in New Orleans resolved last resolved last week to charge themselves and their peers an additional $240 each in order to support programs focusing on marginalized students on campus. The legislation for a quality fee requires that each student cost to attend the college increase by 240 bucks. The funds will be used to support black students and other students from marginalized communities. Currently, Tulane lists the cost of tuition and fees for freshman students for one year at $58,000. A black student group called Les Griot Violets drafted the bill, naming several department offices that would be beneficiaries of the fees, including a university center for academic equality and the Office of Gender and Sexual Diversity. Proposed use of the funds include tuition grants and study abroad scholarships for marginalized students. Of course they voted for it. They're not paying for it. Berkeley speaker advocates for alternative interpretations of the First Amendment. That sounds about right. That's that's what our media does. That's what Twitter does. Facebook does. Google. YouTube. I know they're the same thing. But I still call them two separate things. University of California Berkeley invited a reporter to speak about free speech, speech issues of interest to students. Their invited experts suggest altering the current interpretation of the First Amendment and suggested that free speech absolutism is being used as an excuse for paralysis. There you go. Shut up your opposition so you have no dissension. I think we call that fascism, but remember, it's Trump. Uh, New York staff writer, New Yorker staff writer, Andrew Marantz to discuss his new book, Antisocial, Online Extremism's Techno-Utopian and Hijacking of American Conversation. I think this fuckhead was on Why We Hate. I think he was. Marantz's appearance took the form of a panel discussion comprised of Marantz, Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism Dean Ed Wasserman, and Berkeley Chancellor Carol Christ, who had no pushback on any of this. Berkeley Assistant Vice Chancellor of Executive Communications and Panel Moderator Dan Mogafuf told campus informed the university invited Morantz because he has covered issues related to free speech of interest to the member of the campus community. 
The university's interest in the broad range of perspectives and contemporary issues, talks and events featuring speakers from across the ideological and intellectual spectrum, other than conservative. Having been invited to the university in its capacity, Morantz began his speech by denying the validity of marketplace of ideas, saying the faith that we have that the system is going to basically function and self-correct is just totally misplaced. Focusing on how extreme ideologies take hold via social media, Morantz asserted a need for creators of platforms to think about the problems inherent in the ideas of American exceptionalism, free speech, good marketplace of ideas, so they could build the proper safeguards and platforms and make sure that things don't go haywire. You might strongly disapprove of the person lighting the couch on fire and feel very concerned and have a deeply furrowed brow on your face, but you set the conditions that made that possible. You did or didn't have a policy at the door of who was going to get carded. You made the lighting choices. You made the music choices. You chose not to have a functioning PA system at the party so that if somebody does start lighting a couch on fire, there's no way to quickly alert everyone. Hey, guys, there's a couch on fire. We need to do something. And if you're wrong, which is the case of our current real timeline, they were wrong. It's not real clear what you can do if it's too late. Rant's book is exposing of fringe political ideologues who, who he classes as right-wing extremists. When asked about left-wing extremism, he insisted there is no uh, analogous mirror image on the left, claiming that America was built on a pretty solid foundation of white supremacy has always been used by what has been called the political right. Now, understand, this is why we're getting YouTube censorship. That little statement, for those that have been with the show, of that lady saying, I found my son watching Ben Shapiro, which is a gateway drug to white supremacy, and filters and things like that. The Washington Post has had to apologize for Ben Shapiro for calling him an alt-writer. They, they're very slick. Yes, if you search for it, you can fight white supremacists. Websites. But when you control all fucking idiots who are progressive and reporters on a Reddit thread about the OK symbol is the W is the three fingers and the O is supremacy or power, excuse me, white power. And then you can run with that. I just call bullshit on you. The circle game's been around a long time, folks. And saying okay to people's been around a long time. But that was just step one. Then we get some fancy stuff. The media start covering it. All the white supremacy. We keep rolling out Dylan Roof. I mean, this is all we've done on Why We Hate. We bring out Dylan Roof. We bring out conservative people. We show Antifa once or twice. We say politicians on both sides are bad, but... We go to Netherlands and we say it's just like the Republican Party losing a red state. And subliminally over time, we convince people that there is this huge problem online that, you know, I log into my fucking Facebook and I become a member of the KKK. Or I go over on Twitter and I read a tweet by Ben Shapiro and then I go out and shoot a bunch of black people at his church. That's what they've done. And it's all bullshit. It is their Trojan horse to get in and silence opposition. 
said it a million times on the show. I know it's repetitive. The internet was never for you if you're not a progressive. Anybody that went out there in the beginning of the internet and went to chat boards, they don't want your opinion. You were the people that got banned. If you called somebody ignorant, you got banned. They can call you a jackass. Nothing would happen because the moderators were all progressives. This was their echo chamber. And then all of a sudden, conservatives figured out how to do it. And Trump learned how to use the internet and go out and do a digital campaign. And we can't have that. So we stopped political ads. We stopped this. We stopped that. They want the echo chamber to be everywhere. I, I truly believe this is objective as an American citizen. The fascists are not conservative in our country. The fascists are progressives. They ban words. They ban thoughts. They attack Christianity. Anything other than Muslim, they attack it. It's horrible. Those people pushing their their morals on us. All the while, they're pushing their morals on us that you can be six years old and a drag queen. And this is all just echo chamber. That's all they want. If they had it their way, then they're slowly getting it with the meme case law. We just covered it last podcast. The case act. Can't do memes. Do you think they're going to apply that? I mean, the whole Pepe the Frog shit is trolling. But we had CNN talking about, oh, that's a symbol of white supremacy. Well, white supremacists use a lot of symbology. You know, me and the wife had a long talk on it, because that was the one episode we just watched. I think it was number three or four. And, and since we were cavemen, we all started symbols. Our clan symbols. And our coat of arms. And all this shit. But... You could say everything. If that's the case, well, then you can't wear Nike shoes. Because I'm sure some white supremacists have Nike shoes. And you can't drink Starbucks because I'm sure some racist motherfucker got a cup of Starbucks. That's their logic. But it's nothing to do with the outbreak or the sheer panic that's being caused by all these fucking white supremacists is ruling our streets that you don't see well we project that so you don't see the anarchists and the fascists of Antifa like I said on the last podcast the left is very good at projecting we're in Ukraine we say Trump was working with Russia He's going to steal an election. They were stealing an election from Bernie Sanders. Voter suppression. And we got illegals with driver's license and able to vote. Once again, that's not me just making shit up. There was fucking videos. I mean, this Project Veritas, everything they put out is people talking. They've been checked. It's not edited. The sentences are complete. Nobody inserted shit. And what do they do every time? Oh, that's just uh, its deceptively edited. Ever since Planned Parenthood got caught harvesting fucking baby parts, every video we get is horseshit. It's all lies. Or they just ignore it. Which is what they're doing right now. As we'll see when we get to that segment. But that's their way, man. You, you say First Amendment is bullshit. If you're not saying what I want to say, 
Electoral college is bullshit because my candidate didn't win. And the saddest part about this is that our media buys it hook, line, and sinker, and in some case, pushed it. So, I mean, if we're going to say we're in a country, to get back on point, the freedom of speech is you standing on a street corner saying, I have the right to abort a baby when it's going through its midlife crisis in its 50s. I'm going to, you know, like, keep that going until they're in the grave. Resurrect a dead person and then abort them. And I could be on my street corner and say, every human life is precious. Abortion should not happen after the first trimester. But you can't do that now. They want to stop that basic, fundamental foundation of our country. Because they can't own the narrative on the internet. Professor quoted as saying, I don't have a problem with Antifa violence. There you go. Back to back. Pacific Lutheran University professor of Nordic Studies, Nordic, uh, Troy Sorgerfell, was recently interviewed by Seattle Time colonists regarding his membership in a group called Emerald City Supporters, a band of local Major League Soccer fans who recently won a battle with the league for the right to display the Iron Front symbol. The symbol, which was regarded widely as a symbol of anti-fascism, and as such has been co-opted by Antifa groups, was banned from stadiums as it was deemed to violate a policy against political imagery, but the ECS claimed the image is not political in nature. See? That symbol is not, because it's our symbol. Sorgeville was interviewed for the league lifted the ban, telling Seattle Times colonist Matt Calkin that the league was at risk of losing many supporters should they choose not to let the group display what has come to be recognized as an Antifa symbol. When asked by Calkin's what he thought about Antifa adopting the symbol, Sorgels replied, I say hell yes. They'd use violence, though, Corkin pointed out. Violence against fascists. When specifically asked by Andy NGO, who suffered a brain hemorrhage as a result of violent attack while covering Antifa demonstrations in Portland in June, Sorgels replied by saying, I don't have a problem with it. There are children dying of lack of medication in concentration camps in the U.S. If one fascist gets a milkshake thrown at him, when the columns pointed that NGO was also beaten up, Sorgel claimed, and beaten up, I don't have a problem with that. Because once again, when you get to own the narrative and say that is a fascist, and project that while you're being the fascist, it works in America, free speech and all. That, that's okay, free speech. You, you talk, no, no, not free speech. Black conservative removed from meeting over Justin Trudeau blackface costume. Very funny. And I'm not going to cover it. I just wanted to read the headline because it just cracks me the fuck up. He goes in and they remove him. Because what? once again, if you're a liberal, you can rape motherfuckers as we find out. You can be a fucking pedophile. You can me too the fuck all you want. You can wear blackface. You can sexually assault somebody. Like Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, media doesn't push for that. But, you know, when somebody does the right thing like Katie Hill, we had three fucking podcasts on that shit. Non-stop. Oh, this is a fucking travesty. It's revenge porn. Yeah, by a gay lesbian. Not by conservatives. This one's our money, our money shot. 
inappropriate phrase, but I love it. Students graded assignment littered with anti-conservative rhetoric, accusations of racism. Teaching assistant for course titled Race, Racial and Ethnic Issues at North Carolina State University claimed that President Donald Trump supported white nationalism and neo-Nazis and likened meritocracy to racism. The TA Christian Alberg wrote the remarks as feedback as one of the several students' assignments obtained by campus reform. The documents obtained include two essays, PowerPoint slides, and various test questions. In one essay, Hal referred to course notes that stated conservatism has white supremacist traits and supports the ideology of white supremacy. Albert confined the course notes, made his comparison in his comments, and added that former President Obama's statements on meritocracy could also constitute new white supremacy. And it's, and it's in his notes. I mean, literally, big picture here. Trump has supported white nationalists and neo-Nazis. Handwriting is fucking horrible. As of the Charlottesville protest, he claimed there were very fine people on both sides, and if he was also made statements against white nationalism and Nazism. Maybe he needs to learn how to teach. We probably don't put our stuff. Uh, also, he put up there, upon a, uh, I can't even read his handwriting. This is true to a degree as many views commonly held by conservatives would be considered new white supremacy, but so-called statements from Obama supporting the idea of meritocracy, Albert wrote. Later in the same essay, Hal questioned the media's labeling of Trump and his administration as white supremacists and neo-Nazis. Albert defended the media in his comments. Trump has supported Rock. I just read that. Very fine people, both sides. In another section of essay, Albert referred to Hal's criticism of the breakdown of nuclear family in the African-American community as new racism. According to the course, new racism is described as a new form of white supremacy with views that are as far from rare. PowerPoint slides of the course included new white supremacy, including believing the group should not receive any treatment of government-sponsored assistance. Um, new white supremacy. The most, uh, the most, the most definitions of racism, even those go sociology text define as a belief in the inherent superiority of one's racial group over another. Using this narrow definition of racism, only traditional white supremacist belief would qualify as racist. And based on survey data, data this racism is becoming increasingly rare. <laughs> it just fills my void. Matt and Oregon is laughing right now because I've said this forever. When we did have real racism, we had to make up some shit. And that's what it is. It is argued here that these new forms together constitute a new form of white supremacy. Although rarely recognizes such, the new white supremacy is just as pernicious as an ideology as the traditional versions of on cementing the racial hierarchy and suppressing progressive movements for racial justice and equality. Sorry, my ringtone's supposed to be off. Unlike traditional views, the new white supremacy views are far from rare. In an email to Campus Forum, course professor Melvin Thomas confirmed these examples of new white supremacy. Yes, opposition to government assistance is linked to white supremacy because it's been largely motivated by the view that minorities, especially African Americans, are lazy and undeserving. That's very interesting because there's more white people on the dole than there are black. It's called math. It's a really interesting concept of only like 28% of the country's black and about 60-somethings white, and when you break that down, that would make more people 
poor white than poor black, but you never talk about them? Thomas says you don't want to help lazy people who would rather live off the welfare rather than work. The research supports the link between white supremacist belief and the policy position. The Make America Great Again and Take Our Country Back slogans were debated as being racist, Thomas said. The students overwhelmingly thought it was. One Trump supporter in a video when press said America was great in the 50s, not great time for blacks. A caution that you would make a case that it's not racist, but it's tough to know what's in people's minds. Thomas also added that information presented in this class is based on scientific research, not right or left-wing alternative facts or opinions, he said. That's just total bullshit. The students lost, lost points because their answers were factually incorrect, not because of the conservative belief. That's a lie. However... Hal received 0% grade on the essay assignment. She told Campus Forum that Thomas told her she received 0% because she didn't do the assignment because she didn't discuss the topics correctly. You hear that? That's fascism, folks. The test questions obtained by Campus Reform exhibit similar view. One question indicates that meritocracy is a belief system in America that obscures institutional and systemic racism. Here are just a few of the questions. Mexicans make up about blank of the undocumented immigrants in the United States. Although many people dispute this, blank will forever be linked to slavery and white supremacy. The Confederate flag. One-tenth. One-tenth, they say, for the uh, undocumented immigrants. Blank is the process by which newcomers acquire land and property for the purpose of forming new communities, even while overpowering the indigenous communities. Pioneer colonialism. Blank is a belief in America that obscures institution of systemic racism. Meritocracy. See, we're, we're, they're just, everything's linked. You know, it's coming from colleges everywhere. Uh... A separate essay submitted by Hal shows Alberg's comments on the left-wing extremist group Antifa and conservative commentator Candace Owens. In one comment, Albert claimed Owens was a supporter of new racism and a white supremacist ideology, even though she's black. Candace Owens has been an ardent supporter of the new racism described in class. While this does not qualify her being cursed at and having items thrown at her, it is logical for people in her racial group to distance themselves from her and disavow her actions. While I am no way supportive of Antifa's method, their action against Candace Owens, white while inappropriate, do not contradict their ideas. She helps to support white supremacy ideology, so it's within their mission to oppose her. Candace Owens supports white supremacy ideology and racism, so Antifa should oppose her. In a statement to Campus Reform, Hal said she hopes her story will encourage other conservative students to speak out. I don't think many people truly understand just how bad it is to be in college as a conservative student. Many conservative students won't speak out or speak up about these issues because they know that they can be graded poorly for doing so, or even physically or verbally harassed if they do. I've even had students talk to me after class to tell me they support me in my opposition to comments or remarks by professors that have made. They just don't have the guts to do it themselves because they're concerned for the grade. The story is going to help shed light on just how biased many professors could be to get their political and social agendas across. I want my experience to be an eye-opening story for other conservatives. Blah 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 blah. But this is not a uh, this is not a one-off. This is what our colleges are right now. Uh, my son, Austin State, Austin P State University, he quit because this is what it was. It's not an, uh, it is no longer about you expressing your ideas and being graded on your presentation of whatever the fuck it is. It is wrong speak, right speak. Good thought, 
bad thought. And whenever we can't win the point or the argument, you're a racist. That's just how it flows. And it is spawning all the crazy in our country. And considering our media betters all come from schools like this, do you even for a second wonder why we're so fucked up? I mean, seriously, we're just fucked up, folks. It's embarrassing. So let's go over from this to gay shit. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Little pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit. And it's kind of connected to college. Tulane's homecoming court is now entirely gender inclusive. Well, that's so important. Tulane University has made its homecoming court gender inclusive. According to Tulane Hullabaloo, the two individuals who have the highest number of votes for students will be named Tulane Homecoming Royalty rather than the traditional king and queen. Two individuals, regardless of gender identity, who have the two to highest top highest vote count will be crowned as Tulane's homecoming royalty. Jared Freefeld, who is a member of the committee in charge with overseeing homecoming activities, told the newspaper. The school student government presented Joseph Stoley called it fantastic or sorry, school student government president Joseph Stoley called it fantastic. In 2016, according to Hubaloo, five men and five women were announced to Tulane royalty rather than king or queen. This year, however, the top ten highest vote-getters got a spot on the homecoming court, regardless of their gender. The Hubaloo praised the decision on editorial, saying, Thank you to the student government for creating a homecoming court that's gender and class have. We thank you for giving students the opportunity to walk on the football field and receive a crown they have earned because of who they are, not what they are. I fucking hate everything. Transgender man, women won't date me, and that's not fair. <laughs> you know, it, it just goes back to progressives are like the kid on the playground. Ah, I'm going to take my ball and run home. And now they have power. And lately op-ed for Vice, transgender man Lee Hurley, a biological woman presenting herself with a fake bulge, I mean, sorry, as a man, lamented the supposed epidemic of cisgendered women and men ghosting transgenders in dating life, arguing they have been brainwashed to have such a limited view of how gender and sexuality work. According to Hurley, dating life was the easier racket back when she identified as a lesbian, but that all changed after becoming a transgender man. As a trans guy, the majority won't seem to know what to make of me, so they run away. I played around with the big reveal, and I know the two are linked. It's hard not to see a connection when you arrange a second date, drop the T-bomb, and then she cancels it the next breath. Lee then conducted several experiments to see how this transgender bias played out among single women, cisgendered single women, by setting up three dating profiles in which one was only listed as transgender. Unsurprisingly, the transgender profile received the least amount of replies. I won't lie, it got to me for a while. I'd be chatting with the woman, making her laugh, and seeming, seemingly getting on well. Then I'd tell her and she'd vanish, over and over and over, before dates, during dates, after dates. It didn't matter, the result was almost the same. Determined to discover the originization of this social phenomenon in which women seem to only wish to date biological men. Wow. Do we really need to, like, see the social phenomenon of me wanting a vagina and my wife wanting a penis? 
did these people just skip biology and science? I mean, do they not give them the little book when they're five? How babies are made? I mean, fuck me. Lee Hurley then divided the chat rooms of Reddit to see what people had to say. Why do women vanish when I tell them I'm a trans guy? A woman born a woman is always a woman no matter what, said one Redditor. The women on the dating apps are not interested in dating other women, so they vanish because they're not interested in me. It's probably the gentile issue, replied another. <laughs> I would assume it's the thought that you don't have a penis that puts them off, said another. In response, Lee boasted of a drawer full of dicks with a size to suit every pleasure. Not one of them has ever failed to get up, get hard, or get her off, continued Lee. Not something I can say for these all-singing, all-dancing, superb dicks that cis men are apparently endowed with. Ultimately, Lee concluded that the supposed ignorance stems from the unfair standard that society holds trans- transgender people to, liking it to the women having to list their fertility status on dating apps, or men having to share their penis sizes. That really is the whole issue in a nutshell, because she, she's a fucking scientist. We hold trans people to a higher standard than anyone else when it comes to dating. We require them more than we ask of others, all while constantly sending the message that trans people are somehow less than. The reality is, being trans is a magic sorting hat. A tough as it has it is to have people vanish when you tell them who you are, it does me a favor. By telling them that one thing about me, their reaction tells me everything I need to know about them. Really. That's just some childish fucking stupid shit but this is what our media has done folks men are pieces of shit because they won't date men with dicks who have fake boobs and wear dresses women are now pieces of shit because they don't want to bump and grind with a female It, it goes back to what i say every show we don't have to do your shit bro you don't have to like brisket and the packers i don't have to like a dude with a dick. It, it's human nature. And these women are looking for men. You're not a man. You may get your JJ turned into a fake dick. It will never have balls attached that produce sperm. And there, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of women who want to have babies. I know that you think that's gross, but and it's going to kill the planet, but come on. But this is our world. It, when When... Trannies don't get what they want, or gays don't get what they want. It's everybody else's fault. It just can't be that some women are attracted to women, and they call themselves lesbians, and some men are attracted to men, and they call themselves gay, and there's a whole bunch more, like uh, 94.4% of our country is in, like, really digs the opposite sex. Instead of just doing what it is, everybody has their own kink. Nope, nope, nope. Those heterosexual people are fucking pieces of shit. And then when it goes into the Hollywood arena, we get extra stupid. Batwoman, Supergirl, lose nearly 300k viewers this week. Five similar HBO Watchmen things continue to not look good. 
Things don't look good for Batwoman and Supergirl, Supergirl as both shows suffered series low in terms of viewership for this past Sunday's Week 5 episodes. Batwoman plummeted from 1.26 million viewers to 1.16 in five weeks, a loss of 100K. Likewise, Supergirl only saw 810,000 fans, while the previous episode had 980, a drop of over 17% and 170K. Combined, that is near 300K fans not tuning in with a drop of 270 thousand K the rating and the advertiser coveted 18 to 49 demographic have been consistent but low with Batwoman getting a point three and Supergirl getting a point two now for just a second last man standing was on ABC it owned its time slot they got rid of it because it was conservative Fox picks it up and it's still a success. This show, both of them are failing. They won't go off the air because of their politics. The Connors, after Roseanne, because she said something about a fucking Democrat lady that was perceived to be racist, it has failed ever since. They won't take that off the air. And they go, oh, there's a number one comedy. In there. No, it's not. But that, that's what they'll do. And we'll see with this, it's just like what we just talked about. It's not the show, it's you. While the CW claims both shows get a big boost with DVR and streaming views are factored in over a seven-day period, if the trend continues and ratings and viewership continue to plummet for live TV, I can't see these shows surviving. The Watchmen lost 200,000. All these shows just are bad shows. So here's the actual viewer ratings... And the Rotten Tomato. Batwoman. Uh, episode 1, 1.46. Episode 2, 1.23. Episode 3, 1.23. Episode 5, or 4, sorry, uh, 1.16. Supergirl started with 1.3, ended on a 810K. If you go over to Rotten Tomato, critics... Give it a 72% for Batwoman. People watching, 12%. Now, these are geeky people who are into comic books. They were looking for something. They're not getting it because Batwoman, or Batwoman, um, Supergirl turned into a PC nightmare. Because I watched season one. I thought it was kind of good. The actress was actually pretty decent, and then it went over to CW, and that was the end of that. Or maybe it started on CW. I don't remember. I just remember I watched one season. Judge me. I don't give a fuck. I thought it was a good show. Batwoman is all about gender neutrality and PC shit, and da 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 and that's not why people tuned in. So, you, you and I, normal people, go, okay, the, the, it's a shit show. I mean, there's just it's just not a good show, right? No. No. Just like these critics... This is how it's written. Batwoman has been review bombed by audience. Here's why. Batwoman has been review bombed on Rotten Tomatoes, even though it's only been out for a short while and has fairly decent ratings from the critics. See how they put the critics in there? Seven years after the Arrowverse began on the CW with Arrow, the network has launched its first series diving into the world of Batman 
in Gotham City, Batwoman stars Ruby Rose and Kate Kane, and the tito- titular hero made her in the universe debut in last year's Elsewhere Crossroads. It wasn't much later that Batwoman was ordered a series. The fans of the character and comic world were excited to see what the Arrowverse version of Gotham would look like in the entirety. However, it also wasn't much later that the series spawned a hefty amount of backlash. Just you know, one year before, when it was first revealed that Rose would be portrayed Batwoman, that she was the target of hate speech due to her being an outed lesbian. Sadly, it seems the hate hasn't stopped now, and Batwoman has debuted on Rotten Tomatoes. Batwoman currently holds 72% rating, average from 39 critics. Some have praised the show and Rose's acting, while others have detested it, which is quite normal for a movie or TV show. But what's interesting is the Batwoman audience score is only 11%, and that's from a whopping 4,730 viewers. There's a stark difference between audience and critics, but that's because Batwoman has been review-bombed. Firstly, it's the sheer number of audience reviews over the audience score that gives away the fact that Batwoman was review-bombed. Apparently, Arrow Season 7 only had five had 500 less reviews. The Flash Season 6 had 49 sub- submissions. Batwoman, on the other hand, has just under 5,000, nearly all of which are one-star reviews or less. Some audience reviews are legitimate, of course, but having a 1,000 half-star reviews because the show is flat doesn't make sense. Again, it's because she's gay. Blah, 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 blah. Then Forbes. Forbes. Batwoman is the latest victim of toxic fan culture. And here's what needs to change. Sorry. Another show with so much potential ruined by wokeness. That was a review. Um, Let's see if this is anything different in this one. It's the same. Some are valid, but it's blah, blah, blah. In fact, audience tend to be kinder to shows of the critics who are paid to review them. Unless that show happens to offend them because of the feminist or LGBTQ plus content. Among the native reviews, after Ruby Rose gave an interview to Glamour that riled the trolls, lots of responses specifically called Batwoman out for pushing feminism and queer sexuality. Another show with so much potential ruined by neurokeness. You can tell a narrative is being pushed rather than a decent story being told. And on and on and on and on. Folks, if you know anything about Rotten Tomato, you know the shows I do watch over there? Are anything that's reviewed a bomb by critics and popular amongst audience? If you've ever gone to Rotten Tomato, there is a huge disparity between critics and audience. Secondly, the critics can't go on there and say, hey, this is a Batwoman show. It's supposed to be about Batwoman, and it's about gay Avenger. Because that's what they said it was going to be. A feminist punisher of those fucking cis-normative pieces of shit. That's not what people want to watch. And you can go to any show and see the same reviews from a larger growing audience of audience members who are saying, I'm fucking done with wokeness. I'm changing the channel. I just want a TV show. I don't want your agenda. But instead of acknowledging maybe they missed the mark, people wanted Batwoman. People wanted Supergirl. And they got Social Justice Warrior. No, it's you. It's the reviewers. They're sexist, trans, homophobes. You following me? That's how they do all this shit. 
And it's just fucking comical because it's a horrible show. I read a review on there. I am a lesbian woman. This show sucks. They didn't establish plot lines, characters. It's just a mess. And as we'll see, well, I'll do it right now. There, there's an article coming. Well, there's an article coming up. I don't know where the fuck it's at. But they're even starting to realize over at Netflix, people are fucking sick of Trump jokes, and they're going to have a button that you can skip a joke. Hit a fast forward, and you want to listen to it. Because some people are being serious about this and realizing you're overdoing it. People are getting sick of the wokeness. I mean, I've talked about Grey's Anatomy on here. The moment two dudes humped each other in the back of a goddamn ambulance, people were done. Because once again, as a society, lesbians are okay. Gay dudes butt-fucking are not okay for the normal person. They don't want to see an ambulance rocking. Nobody wants to see it. They don't care they do it. They don't give a shit if you're gay. They don't give a fuck. They just don't want to see it. Just like heterosexuals or homosexuals don't want to see heterosexual sex. And atheists don't want to see a Christian sermon. It's not their bag. It's bleeding viewers because they brought on Alyssa fucking Milano. That was it. But instead of saying we missed the point and pull the Dixie chick, it's you people. Ian Michael Chong gets us off this subject. When snowflakes run a restaurant and get triggered by customers. Yeah, no thanks. Hello, this is an actual sign. I'm not making it up. We would like to take a moment to please remind patrons to not presume the gender of our staff when visiting the restaurant. This means staying away from pronouns or nouns that are associated with a particular gender when addressing or speaking about the folks we employ. Instead of saying things like, she is already helping me, or the guy over there is grabbing my donut, or thanks miss, or hey man, please use neutral terms so you aren't mistakenly referring to someone as a gender they are not. Great gender neutral terms and words are, they them as a pronoun until you know the person's pronoun. They already took my order. Thank you. I think they forgot my dip. Folks, pals, buds, champ, friends are all great ways to address others without presuming gender. Greetings and goodbyes can be simple as saying hello, everyone, or thanks, buddy. And remember, it's okay to ask people which pronoun they use, and it's always helpful when you share yours in an Instagram bio or when asking someone else. Little things like this can go a long way to make people feel seen and safe to themselves. Thank you for helping us build a positive environment for our staff and our patrons alike. Once again... You're a fucking business. If somebody put this sign up and said the opposite, we will not use pronouns. You're either a he or a she. Thanks, the management. They would be getting boycotted. Better business bureaued. There'd be seven... I mean, let's let's be honest. I missed a, a point on my last one. Whenever we have a Trump thing, they bomb the restaurant... With one reviews, the media and the LGBT mafia are just fine with that. And that would happen to this restaurant if it was on the other foot. Secondly, your job is to sell fucking food, not social fucking justice. But you go on with your .07% business plan. We'll see how far that gets you. NBC News writer Simone Moya-Smith upset that President Trump totally blew off Native American Heritage Month. 
Here's her tweet. Trump rejects Native American Heritage Month, proclaims November National American History and Founders Month. Let's just cut to the chase and call it National White Man Month. We know that what that means. I will not take the outrage bait. I will not take the out. These are all replies. Outrage bait. I will not take an outrage bait. Monty Boa pouts. POTUS is trying to erase GW, GHW Bush's commemoration of November as National Native American Indian Heritage Month. Stalin tried rewriting history also. You know who else is trying to rewrite history? You are. It doesn't take long to search the White House website and find the official proclamation on a Native American Heritage Month. And he did. Sean Davis tour. Are you illiterate or just lying? Curious. Why this is still up since you're full of shit? What a blatant, despicable lie. Trump explicitly recognized that national... Well, that's so long, I'm not reading it again. With a standalone presidential proclamation. You should retract and apologize immediately. He might have said no takebacks, though. It's a pretty common strategy among blatant liars. She then tried to spin it. Let me clarify. Trump subverts and undermines the sole purpose of Native American Heritage Month by instead of celebrating the founders, white men who in the Declaration of Independence explicitly refer to natives as merciless Indian savages. NBC has not retracted it. She lied. What else? Then we have this. I'm just going to play the soundbite because I am just so over this Popeye's chicken sandwich. What we have since been able to determine through our investigation, our homicide detectives are hard at work on this one, but we have been able to determine um, that uh, preliminarily that this is related to the release of the, uh, the sandwich here at this restaurant that uh, this individual was in line, aligned specifically for the sale of the sandwich when uh, another customer um, and he um, got into an altercation and um, that ended with the victim being stabbed outside of the business. We are asking, there were many people in the store at the time, we are asking for anyone who was in the store at the time to please come forward and speak with our detectives. We are asking the person who did this to come forward. Who are you? is wrong with people it's a fucking chicken sandwich man god damn do some climate earth needs fewer people to beat the climate crisis scientists say 40 years ago scientists from 50 nations converged on geneva to discuss what was called the co2 climate problem at the time the reliance of fossil fuels helped trigger the 1979 oil crisis. Scientists got to work building a strategy, blah, blah, blah. Now, four decades later, a large group of scientists is sounding another much more urgent alarm. More than 11,000 experts, I just did air quotes, from around the world are calling for a critical addition to the main strategy of dumping fossil fuel for renewable energy. There needs to be fewer humans. We declared with more than 11,000 scientists signatories from around the world clearly and unequivocally that planet Earth is facing a climate emergency, scientists wrote in a stark warning. While warnings about the consequences of unchecked climate change have become so commonplace as to inure the average news consumer, this latest communique is exceptionally significant given the data that accompanies it. And they lay out that we need to basically not reproduce. Then Mayor Bill de Blasio, in just 30 years, most of southern Vietnam 
could be underwater, Bangkok, Shanghai, and Mumbai would be almost fully submerged. 110 million people could be displaced, causing massive immigration. This is our future if we don't do something in caps. But the study has a lot of problems, namely that millions of people already live in the area that are below sea level, and surprise, they're not drowning. This is from a website's premium that I'm paying $7 a month to get this content. Born Lombung. New York Times ran a sensational story on how many places will soon be underwater. Unfortunately, it misuses the data. Number one, global warming is real. And number two, the research they reference looks good and useful, finding a better estimate for number of people potentially vulnerable to sea level rise. Also, kudos to the Climate Central for making almost all the data available online. Here you can see a risk of flooding for 2050. The only missing visualization is today because they didn't want to. They do include that info in academic articles. Of course, New York Times emphasizes Vietnam as is the most obvious and one of the biggest places where large areas are potentially underwater at high tide. So, how does New York Times end up saying that southern Vietnam could all but disappear because of sea level rise from global warming when actual additional land at risk is, is in sight? Is because they leave out that today almost as many are living at risk and clearly still living there first. New York Times has not really thought about what life is actually like on the Mekong River Delta. Second, the research leaves out coastal defenses. This is not unreasonable as research that was not their topic. But, of course, it makes it absolutely silly to make claims about real-life impacts without looking at the actual adaptation. They put up defenses. (laughs) Actual people in South Vietnam and the Angang province live well because they have protected most of their land. Although the New York Times would claim they would be underwater... This one province produces about 1% of the world's rice. If anything, the New York Times article in the background research underscores scores that we are inimitably able to tackle sea level because today 19 million people live in Vietnam below the waterline and they thrive. Yes, more people will likely be below the tide line in 2050 because of sea level rise, but it's likely that actual number of people flooded will decline, not increase because they'll be taking care of it. And this goes on for, I mean, he just destroys this fucking article. Destroys it. Then you have Nora Betts Timmons, a HuffPo editor. 11,000 scientists have declared we are in climate emergency. Among other things, we need to move away from capitalism and instead prioritize sustaining ecosystems and improving human well-being by prioritizing basic needs or reducing inequality. My tweet was added to a moment to truly rest in peace by Menchies, but do people really think that we can solve climate change in our current economic system, which is designed to exploit all available resources with no regard for profit, she says. It's just a gambit to take over the world with socialistic, progressive ideas. Here's Jane Fonda to prove my point. You've been arrested four times so far, and you spent the night yeah. in the in the joint last Friday. <laughs> well, it wasn't a prison, and it wasn't a normal cell. It was, uh, <coughs> I mean, a jail. It was a holding holding t- cell for people waiting sentencing, and, right. and uh, you know, the conditions weren't great for old bones like mine on a metal slab. But the most, you know, the saddest part of it was was seeing how because our country doesn't 
doesn't give enough money to resources like social safety nets and mental health institutions. There are so many people in jail, right. you know, for poverty and racism and mental health issues. Things, and yeah. it's only going to get worse as climate gets worse. I and know. More and more people are harmed. And Worried about it every day. Yeah. And so you, it was sad. You can be the climate scientists are saying, this is, we're not going to be able to turn it around. We have 11 years to avoid catastrophe. It's so and scary. we can't do it unless people mobilized by the millions in the streets, you know, I, folks out there. You know, Jane, I also, I'm, I'm, I know I'm part of the media, but I blame the media a little bit, too, because, <clears throat> like, just yesterday... Don't blame anybody except the fossil fuel industry. They try to make <coughs> us feel guilty. Do you know what I mean? No, but, but I'm, not I'm not saying that the media is responsible for pollution. I'm saying that the media is not covering this the way they should. Yesterday, the U.S. announced that it will begin formally withdrawing from the Paris Agreement deal, and Trump is now rolling back Obama-era regulations of coal pollution. And every time you turn, open the paper, there it is. The waters, we're all going to be Flint, Michigan one of these days because of this guy. I mean, there's bigger problems with fossil fuel in the world with China, but this guy is a convict on this topic. And my question is, do you think, and they all well, talk because he about, gets all his money from fossil fuel type but, people but and his media, cabinet is all oil. But all we talk about is this impeachment issue, which I agree with is an interesting issue and we want him out. But I don't think that this particular, this is an existential threat. It's front page And news. it's not really, not really, because okay. I think if it was more out there, people would be more concerned. Well, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, oh, to try to keep it on people's minds, yeah. among all the noise. And... I mean, I watch CNN all day long, and I don't hear this talk. There is climate change, but the answer is not for you to turn the world into socialist shithole. New York Times puzzled over Asian opposition to affirmative action in Washington State. An editor insisted on calling unlikely resistance to a ballot measure in Washington State and text box, although it makes sense that Asian Americans would resist affirmative action, having been successful as a group without assistance. There's also credible concerns demonstrated by a failed lawsuit against Harvard University that such diversity dictates discriminate against Asian students. But this whole article is, well, how could they, be, why would they do that? They're Asian. They're one of our people. No. Asians, just like Latina, are hardworking people. They're not into your meritocracy bullshit. HuffPo brings up our next holiday, because you know it's never soon, too soon, to ruin shit. Cancel Thanksgiving to save the planet. The annual liberal dissertation on how to talk to conservative family members at Thanksgiving were obnoxious, but this new lefty idea is a real turkey. HuffPo re recommends forgoing Thanksgiving altogether to save the planet for global warming because traveling to gather with family and friends to offer thanks is selfish. Author Alexandra Emanuele began her article on November 5th with a reminder that Trump is pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement and surely non-political climate action tracker rates America's effort as insufficient. This leads Emanuele to write, With that in mind, one wonders how much damage are we doing with our epic Thanksgiving meal every year? No, actually, normal people don't wonder such ridiculous things, and yet she talked to researchers in an attempt to calculate Thanksgiving carbon footprint. They ruin everything! And the biggest shocker, Emanuele discovered, it turns out that your food isn't the biggest holiday culprit of carbon dioxide emission. Traveling for meals is. Are you sure? Because the turkey's already there. It's going to be harvest whether I eat it or not. With the caveat that no one should be discouraging from enjoying a holiday or celebrating with family or friends, 
yeah, whatever. We're here to provide insight into the ingredients and dishes that have the largest ecological impact and share suggestions and alternative ingredients that cause less environmental damage. Consider taking the turkey out of the turkey dinner, the research says, noting that the carbon footprint of a 16-pound turkey creates a total of 34.2 pounds of CO2, the same amount produced by turkey gravy, cranberry sauce, roasted Brussels sprouts, mashed potatoes, rolled biscuits, and apple pie combined. The alternative, go for a plant-based source. Do turkeys fart too? Is that their worry? I mean, I'm just asking for a friend. Instead of more turpy, terp, terpy, turkey, help yourself to an extra slice of pumpkin pie or an additional serving of squash soup. Who the fuck has squash soup? Drop and give me 50, you're an idiot. But we're all going to die in 10 years anyway, so why? Who, who gives a fuck? Additionally, stay away from exotic or specialty ingredients from outside the country due to the energy expended transporting them. Sourcing your ingredients locally to limit your impact and lessening your food miles. One expert did note that food miles are complicated by other things as well as food production as developing countries provide a source of income and potentially a livelihood for farmers, but fuck them! Once again, those in developing countries with low incomes get screwed by climate alarmist prescriptions. As for leftovers, Emanuele wants us to be conscious of food waste, citing that USDA statistics say 30-40% to of American food supply is wasted making a good argument for paring down the endless sides and apps and selecting a few key dishes to ensure more is eaten. Meanwhile, Thanksgiving is probably the holiday with the least amount of food waste. Who doesn't look forward to leftovers in the days following turkey sandwiches, soups, yada yada. And finally, a recent graduate of the Department of Social and Decision Sciences at Carnegie Mellon says, it may help the environment if your guests stayed home and cooked their whole meal. Well, wait a minute. We kill more turkeys. The world's going to end soon, so instead of spending your last days amongst family and friends, hunker down alone and miserable, just like many liberals will do this year after disowning their families for the unforgivable moral failings of not condemning Trump or using the wrong pronouns or what other wrong think is popular today. <laughs> People's reply were, then how will you berate conservatives? Stop ruining everything. Doesn't it get exhausting? Does your joyless life ever bother you? Are you allergic to happiness? Have you considered offing yourself to save the planet? Is the next HuffPoke thing. And then Blair White. You may want to consider shutting the fuck up. (laughs) Then we have the Telegraph. They're projecting to Christmas. This Christmas, give your wife something she really wants. A cheat day. As in, go fuck other people. Heather Dawn Whisper or DS Whisper, I follow her. What the fuck is wrong with you people? I'm asking that. To non-social bullshit. Sleep divorce is a thing and it's on the rise. I guess all these millennials, when they're not fucking the entire world, they're not sleeping together. It improves the relationship. And then the article I spoke of, Netflix introduces skip politics button for viewers who want to skip jokes about Trump, a new special. 
The streaming service has come up with a new way to bridge the political gap among viewers, some of whom like Trump, while others detest him. Seth Meyers hosts a late night on NBC is most definitely a member of the latter group. Every night on a show, Meyer, former SNL star, skewers the president. Meyer's a new special titled Lobby Baby, debuting Tuesday on Netflix. And an all-new feature, the special will have a skip politics button to let viewers skip over his political jokes. Myers said that he asked Netflix to create a button for viewers to opt out of watching that segment. In the same way, Netflix users can bypass the introduction credit with a skip intro. Problem is, Seth Meyers is not funny, so I still won't be fucking tuning in. Good morning, Twitter. Let's take a look and see what's trending this beautiful morning. Cream pie. Hashtag cream pie. We're all going to die, folks. We're all going to hell. That's fucking horrible. And if you don't know what it is, Google it up. AT&T to pay $60 million in settlement for slowing cell phone data on unlimited plans. They are crooked as fuck. That is some crooked-ass shit. They literally slowed them so they couldn't use unlimited. And lastly, Man71 dies after falling into a lava tube on his Hawaii property. He was trimming branches. He didn't know it was there. They pulled him 22 feet below, and he was burned up. That's just a bad, bad fucking day. To another music break, and then we'll do some quick hit politicals. It is Singers Unlimited. I forgot to mention that in the first one, but Singers Unlimited Christmas is one of my favorites. I love these guys, so enjoy. Uh, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. When we come in, it'll be a soundbite on Epstein. Yeah, it'll be a little long. But it's Project Veritas proving once again our media is hot fucking garbage. Merry, 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 merry Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on your troubles will be out of sight Have yourself a merry little Christmas Make the yuletide
from the Singers Unlimited, Bonnie Herman, Don Shelton, Jean Perling, and Len Dressler. Peace. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we that also quashed the story. And then um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail, and now it's all coming out, and it's like these new revelations, and I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day, I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my god, we it was um, what what we had was unreal. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep, Brad Edwards, the attorney, three years ago, saying like aunt uh, like. We, there will come a day when we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. And I had it all three years ago. Would you make a right hand, please? Yes. Do you solemnly swear the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you? Yes, I do. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. It was unbelievable what we had. Clinton, we had everything. Then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. That's tape leaked to us by our latest network insider. This brave insider works at ABC News. ABC News anchorwoman Amy Robach is talking to her producer on a hot mic. She says she had the Jeffrey Epstein story three years ago, and her bosses at ABC News spiked it. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for twelve years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail, and now it's all coming out, and it's like these new revelations, and I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day, I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my god, we it was um, what what we had was unreal. Our insider told us this tape was recorded earlier this year in late August, a day or so after this NPR report came out, sharply criticizing ABC News. For not broadcasting the Robach Jufre interview years ago, ABC has episodically covered the scandal. Yet the interview was never broadcast, and Jufre says she was never told why. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep. Brad Edwards, the attorney, three years ago, saying like, "Aunt, like, 
we there will come a day where we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. I had it all three years ago. Well, then I got a little concerned about why I couldn't get on. On the leaked insider tape, Amy Robach says she had the Jeffrey Epstein story three years prior, but her exclusive interview was shelved. Robach says in the leaked tape there was a lot of pressure from Buckingham Palace. According to NPR, the famed lawyer Alan Dershowitz also pressured the network to kill the story. Shortly before the interview was due to air, Harvard Emeritus Law Professor Alan Dershowitz called the network. He was also one of Epstein's lead defense attorneys. We wonder if the story was killed to protect the rich and powerful. It seems few were worried about protecting the women who may have been Jeffrey Epstein's victims. Remember, Epstein was still a free man three years ago. And just to be clear, the interview has still not aired. What is ABC News waiting for, or who are they still protecting? She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton, we had everything. Robach also has no doubt about what happened to Epstein when he finally was arrested and jailed. So do I think he was killed? A hundred percent. Yes, I do. Because you want he made his whole living blackmailing people. Yeah. There were a lot of men in those planes, a lot of men who visited that island, a lot of powerful men who came into that apartment. I knew immediately. <clears throat> and they made it seem as though he made that suicide attempt two weeks earlier, but his lawyers claimed that he was roughed up by his cellmate around the neck. That was all, like, to plant the seed. And then... That's why I really believe it. Like, really believe it. The last of the leaked tape has Robach talking about alleged Epstein conspirator Ghislaine Maxwell and how she should be very careful. He's got to have left evidence like, in the unexplained... Well, Ghislaine Maxwell, who I had all sorts of stuff on her, too. I love every... I'm like, it's so funny to hear everyone say her name next. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I had all the... And everyone's like, who's that? Who cares? I kept getting mad. Who cares? Um, she knows everything. She knows, she knows, she should, she should be careful. Well, she was his, like, she went out and recruited all of these girls. She should watch her back. Because if she goes, I mean, I'd have, like, security guards all around me. The brave insider who leaked this tape to us does not know who at ABC News spiked the story. But someone at ABC does. Our question, who killed the Epstein story at ABC News and why? Help us find out. James Goldston is the president of ABC News. What did he know? And when did he know it? Here's the landline number for ABC News President Goldston and his Twitter account. If you're an insider at ABC News or any other major media outlet or big tech company and you have seen corruption or bias, contact us 
at projectveritas.com slash brave. Be a catalyst for change. Be brave. Do something. Now, I understand this is such a big deal because this is the second time. Rona Fair with NBC, now with ABC. And her, her comments, she, Virginia Roberts, told me everything. She had pictures, she had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. It was unbelievable. We had Clinton. We had everything. I tried for three years to get it out to no avail, and now it's all coming out. And it's like these new revelations, and I'm freaking had all of it. I'm so pissed right now. Like, every day I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh, my God. I mean, seriously. She then says, so I think it's killed 100%? Yes. Because do you want... Because do you want it? He made his whole living blackmailing people. They then forced her, as a journalist, as the Epstein story continued on full last summer, I was caught in a private moment of frustration. I was upset that, because this is from August 2018, I was upset that an important interview that I conducted with Virginia Roberts didn't air because we could not obtain sufficient corroborating evidence to meet ABC's editorial standard about our allegations. The editorial standard that aired a Syrian firefight that was from Knob Creek, Kentucky. Yeah, those editorial standards. That's what she's talking about. Um, my comments about Prince Andrew and her allegations that she had seen Bill Clinton on Epstein's private island were in reference to what Virginia Roberts said in an interview in 2015. I was referencing her allegations, not what ABC News had verified through our reporting. The interview itself, while I was disappointed it didn't air, didn't meet our standards. In the years since, no one ever told me or the team to stop reporting on Jeffrey Epstein, and we have continued to aggressively pursue this importantly. Lie, lie, lie. ABC, at the time, not all our reporting met our standards. Standards standards we have standards no you don't democrats clinton everybody knows it democrats knows it yashir ali abc news dealt with a firestone and is still dealing with it after project veritas published a video of air Rubak talking about our epstein story but abc news tells me they don't plan to cover the controversy and will also not be addressing it on air well, according to Ali, Yashar Ali, ABC News is ready to get serious about this. No, not about taking responsibility for the cover-up, but about going after the people responsible. Scoop, ABC News execs believe the know who the former employee is who accessed footage of Airbach expressing her frustration about her Shell Epstein story. That former employee is now a CBS, and ABC execs have reached out to CBS. In a statement, an ABC News spokesperson tells me, <clears throat> we're, we take violations of company policy very seriously, and we're pursuing all avenues to discern, determine the sources of the leak. This is important to note that ABC News does not know if the former employee leaked the footage to Project Veritas. What they do know is access to the footage. It's possible that person could have shared it with somebody else who leaked. Seth Mandel, this is the part they take seriously. Carol Markovich, ABC News is going after the possible leaker Robochok bids because priorities are going after leaker first. Notorious pedophile, not even on the list. 
other people. ABC News showing more initiative in hunting down the guy who leaked that they killed their billionaire pedophile piece than they did in covering the actual billionaire pedophile. Ryan Savannah then cruises in. Somebody asked me what's seltzer. Why is he not covering it? I would ask, but he blocked me. It's the number one social media thing. Daily Beast did cover it. James O'Keefe, wow. AOC retweets Project Veritas investigation. Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. She did. She retweeted it. In the end, they fired that person. CBS did. But let's remember, interestingly, these same editorial standards didn't exist with some teenagers on a march in D.C. ABC chose to serve as judge, jury, and executioner long before the actual evidence was available. No one has ever told me not to report on Jeffrey Epstein except for the time when they did, and it worked. Solid defense. And let's not kid ourselves. There will be zero consequences for Roebuck because all she did was get caught. They're all complicit. C.J.R. Hamani. I'm no fan of James O'Keefe, but this Jeffrey Epstein story is huge. It's a goddamn scandal and a stain on every news organization, incredible information on Epstein, but killed the respective reporting on them to do external and internal pressure. You know how you know it's huge? Every single left-wing media fact-checker is completely MIA, almost like they arrived at work, saw this on Twitter, and left. Multiple Brian Seltzer, this is just editorial direction, right? The things newsroom do every day to protect the powerful. Because remember, that's what they say. They're there to hold the power in check. They have been ranting that to a public who's ignoring them because they're fucking over the top libs. What's Brian Seltzer doing? Interesting race at the top of the Amazon bestseller list. A warning by Anonymous. It's an anti-Trump book. Then Katie Hyde cues us in. While this is all happening, hey Brian Seltzer, if real Donald Trump tweets a typo about ABC's cover-up, will you consider covering that? Because this was a segment he did during all of this about Trump tweet typos. Everybody makes spelling mistakes, all right? Everybody does. I do, everybody does. But on Twitter, Donald Trump makes a lot more of them than most people. Just this week, he misspelled Republican and unfair. But those are hardly the worst examples. We have seen countless absurd spellings from the commander-in-chief. He has called showbiz shoebiz. There's hamburgers. There's the uh, smocking gun. There's a lot of these, even misspelling his wife Melania's name. And he's been ridiculed for it by late-night comics. Uh, I think you've got a couple of typos on that shirt. No, this was taken verbatim from one of your tweets, therefore it's correct. That's the thing, death of truth, right? It's actually not that funny. I know English teachers are horrified by the president's poor form. Lots of other people are embarrassed by it too. But I've never seen anyone do a comprehensive study of his spelling errors or look at what they mean. So. That's where FactBase comes in. FactBase is this excellent website that has every single word the president says, some other politicians as well. It looks at all of Trump's tweets, even the deleted ones, for this database of typos and other screw-ups. So we gave President Trump the full benefit of the doubt. These researchers only counted true misspellings, homophone swaps, and incorrect multi-word phrases. So here's what the researchers found. 
On average, Trump makes a spelling error at least one out of every five days. And since taking office, he's made at least 188 of them total, more, more than 188 spelling errors on Twitter. Now, what do we compare this to? Let's take a look at Trump's family members to compare to, uh, let's take a look at the 2020 Democratic candidates as well and just see how Trump compares. Well, this says it all. Someone like Andrew Yang, 14 mistakes. Bernie Sanders, three misspellings. Obama, zero. This is during the time since Trump took office. Donald Trump Jr. tweets a lot, so he's had 90 mistakes. But generally, all these politicians, they get it right. They're careful. They pay close attention to what they're tweeting. President Trump is really the, the odd man out on this, with constant misspellings on his feed. But it hasn't always been this way. Look, in 2015, only 18 misspellings, only 18 errors. But there's been a huge spike since he took office. Of course, if you can't get the small stuff right, people worry about the big stuff. And he gets a lot of the small things wrong. Look, the word he misspells most often is counsel, as in White House counsel or special counsel. Uh, Factbase found some other frequent misspellings, too, like Barack Obama misspelling Barack, maybe thinking of Tom Barack instead. And there's others as well. Capitol Hill, he gets wrong a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we had time for that. But remember, they're objective. These are journalists. They are fucking, they are bringing truth to power. Tom Bevins, recap. NBC kills story on Harvey Weinstein, says it didn't meet their editorial standard. ABC spikes story on Jeffrey Epstein, saying same. Both organizations, rest of media, went wild running uncorroborated stories about Kavanaugh being a gang rapist. God damn, that's true. NBC also deliberately suppressed evidence that Michael Avani lied about Brett Kavanaugh and fabricated a false accusation against him. Somebody shows the Syria slaughter. Knob Creek Gun Range. People should just turn off the TV or stop following ABC News or CBS News because it's just BS news. NBC plus ABC and most media editorial standards. Does it hurt President Trump? Yes. Go with it. If no, spike it. As of yesterday, Oliver Darcy and Brian Seltzer, same story. Scoop, Fox hosts like Sean Hannity have been told not to name the person they believe to be the whistleblower on air. Yashar Ali, update. Two sources familiar with the matter tell me that CBS News fired the staffer. Molly Hemingway. Looks like two media outlets conspired to retaliate against a whistleblower. Meanwhile, they're claiming resistance talking points that merely identify a Ukrainian leaker, even though he's protected from retaliation. Is unacceptable. Interesting. It's so true. Yeah. <clears throat> Just... So true. And before I rant, New York Times reporter sat on Warren's pregnancy firing lie story for months. Months. It's now been done by the Wall Street Journal. They knew it was a lie. But they didn't do anything. This is our media. I mean, that tweet about Trump is so fucking spot on. They have run every fucking anonymous source, anything about Trump, from he gets two scoops of ice cream to one, and they don't know where the light switches are, that they couldn't confirm. Their editorial standards doesn't fucking matter. What's matter? Get a Republican in a bad light, make Republicans look bad, that is front fucking page news. We will run with it. 
Every smoking gun under Mueller investigation was bullshit. They never researched that shit. They had single-sourced, anonymous statements ran with it. The whole Ukraine thing. Anonymous source. Anonymous source. Anonymous source. Second-hand information. We're doing an impeachment on that. We're impeaching. But all they do is support Democrats. Here's a soundbite. CNN tries, fails to get you a soldier to talk shit about the commander-in-chief. Liberal activist and Camelia Harris relative gets glowing profile on NBC. Liberals hail Matthews, one of the true pillars of democracy. That is Chris Matthews. NBC, Democrat win in Kentucky. Everything worked perfectly. New NBC series only looks at what matters to Democratic voters. Because it's what matters for the election. And then they have a, another what matters. We need to strengthen public unions. Ukraine's president is trying to make that happen. But peace is best negotiated from a position of strength. And having the U.S. as an ally is key. In the west of the country, far from the front lines, Ukrainian forces carry out military exercises under the watchful eye of their American trainer. Like they'll be engaging targets and shooting. Captain Matthew Chapman has been working with this unit for two months. Can I ask what your reaction was when you heard that military aid had been frozen to Ukraine? Personally, I don't pay attention to U.S. domestic foreign policy um, or politics while I'm here. We are solely focused on the mission at hand. And it didn't create an awkward atmosphere at all with your Ukrainian fellow soldiers? It has not even come up in, in conversation with our OCs. His Ukrainian counterpart agrees. You know, I don't like to speak about politics. My mission and my main role is to protect my land, my country. That's all I want and it's all I know for myself. Do you believe that America is an ally Ukraine can rely Completely upon? Yes. Completely yes. Privately, some Ukrainian soldiers admit to feeling uneasy. They fear that the White House's fickle behavior may strengthen Russia's position. But all agree that with or without America's help, they have no choice but to continue this fight. When you talk to Ukrainian soldiers and also civilians, there's a sense that this isn't just about winning the war. This is about trying to win the peace. And for that, they also say they need the support of the U.S. They need the leverage that having the U.S.'s support gives them at the negotiating table when it comes to sitting down with someone like President Vladimir Putin. As a lawyer, entrepreneur, executive, activist, and the mother of two young girls, Mina Harris doesn't have a ton of free time. That's not to say Mina doesn't have some pretty good role models. Her own mother, who went from teen mom to Stanford Law School grad, and an aunt who you may have heard of too. What do you call her? I auntie? call her auntie. Now auntie that I'm like a grown woman, we're incredibly close. You like and share a birthday everything? We do. She probably will not like me to share this, but it's October 20th and we're 20 years apart. Exactly. <laughs> we have a very special bond. I did this very tiny little family. My grandmother, my mom, and my aunt, and it was just us. For Mina, activism is practically genetic. In 2017, inspired by her grandmother, the Women's March, and Maya Angelou's poem, Phenomenal Woman, she decided to launch a one-month venture, Phenomenal Woman. 
We'll sell the t-shirts. We'll raise money for women's organizations. I thought, you know, like, we'll sell a few hundred shirts if I, like, bug enough people. What she didn't expect was the movement that came next. On the first day, we sold 2,500 shirts. 2,500 on the first day. Yeah, so that was my, like, wow moment. The whole point is that I'm just a regular person. I'm not a full-time activist, right? I just was doing my part. It sounds like one day... We don't run for president. No. Oh, God. No. no. It does. It sounds like... No, please. Really? I'm like, is there a witness in the room to... I will I never... We interview so many people on the show. Some people are VA-listers. Some people are singers. Some people are actresses. But there are a lot of people in this country on all sides of the aisles who are really doing their... Trying to live their best life and mm-hmm. actually shift the needle and move the needle in a positive direction. Chris, 20 years... I've been watching you for 20 years. Hey, Chris, it's Ben Stiller. I just want to say I really love your show. I'm a huge fan. Happy 20th anniversary. Chris, congratulations. A warm greeting to you from Bangkok at 3.30 in the morning. 20 years, man. That's awesome. Congratulations, Chris Matthews, on 20 years of... Hardball bringing out the gritty truth behind the headlines. Hardball is the gold standard for political news, and it's because of you. Chris, 20 years in, and you are still throwing the heat on Hardball. You're the first thing I watch after I finish my broadcast each evening. Your unique ability to cut through the daily heapings of political word salad has never been more important. So to you and the entire Hardball staff, congratulations on a remarkable milestone. 20 years, and wishing you many more. Go get them, pal. Chris, congratulations on 20 years of hardball on MSNBC. As a Philly girl, you have always been one of my biggest inspirations. You've turned tough interviews into an art. You are one of the true pillars of our democracy. You're one of the best standard bearers for the power of the fourth estate. You're a fierce watchdog for the American people. So keep on grilling us. Every time I come on the show, I never know what types of hardballs, curveballs will be coming my way. But I always know I can expect pride and professionalism from the team as they put that in the show every single night. So here's to many more years of Chris Matthews and the team shaping the dialogue and holding America's leaders to account. Well, there was talk. I mean, this was the place, Andrea, that Donald Trump won by 30 percentage points. So there was a lot of hype in the room. I mean, everybody knew that it was a possibility. But but to become reality was a different story because you looked up and not only did the suburbs show up, the the, the urban corridors showed up, but also eastern Kentucky. You know, we're talking about coal country. For the Democrats here in the state, this was a big deal because everything worked out perfectly. Matt Bevin, to date, has, I guess the sun is about, what, high noon now, still has not announced that he would be conceded. Uh, he would have to take it to the court in order to get a recount. Uh, you just heard uh, Andy Bashir, the governor-elect, uh, said that he has not received a phone call. And you heard Donald Trump there the night before Election Day coming into town, uh, into Kentucky, to try to shore up support uh, for, for the, the Republican incumbent in this race. And you saw Trump's Twitter feed last night where he was suggesting that he actually helped Matt Bevin by 15 or 20 percentage points. And Andy Bashir, the Democrat uh, who won last night, uh, he was just asking that a few moments ago, and he chuckled, suggesting that he had not seen the same poll that the one that Donald Trump is talking about. How many union members or former union members? Five, six, seven. At our roundtable with Democratic primary voters. I couldn't get into a union. I couldn't get health care. A clear desire for the return of union strength. Just take a look at this. What are we going to do to make unions stronger in this country? Because they need to be stronger. When the unions were strong, the middle class was strong. What goes through your mind? That they're right. 
uh, that they they get it. We talked with Senator Amy Klobuchar at home. To her, unions are a family matter. I literally am here as the granddaughter of a union member, an iron ore miner, the daughter of a teacher, a union member, the daughter of a newspaper man, and a union member. How Americans view unions has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. Nearly two-thirds of adults in the U.S. now view unions favorably. We have things that have gone awry. It is no surprise at all that you're going to see an increase in union organizing and an increase in interest and popularity of unions. But union membership is at a decade's low, 10% of the U.S. workforce. To affect change, the senator wants to reverse Trump administration rules on overtime pay and appoint more labor-friendly judges. When there were changes in our country, like during the Gilded Age, and people weren't being treated well, that's when unions came up, that's when unions organized. Uh, so that's what this is really about. Perhaps, as another Minnesotan once wrote, for unions at least, the times are... We're less than a year away from the 2020 election, and there's another Democratic debate this month. So we ask what's most important to Democratic voters as they weigh their decision. Our Harry Smith spoke with a group of them and is taking their questions straight to the candidates in our new series, What Matters? Tonight, South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. We're at the Bethlehem Brew Works in the key swing state of Pennsylvania with a group of 11 Democratic voters talking about what matters to them. How important is defeating Trump to everybody at the table? Extremely important. Number one, yes. Defeating the president and issues of money or lack thereof. The top 1% is garnering more and more of the total wealth in the world. It's worse than that. It's the top 0.1%. But what I'm saying to you is it, it, it's the top 0.1%. And, and it's, it's the top 1%, true, but it's the top 0.1% that's benefiting. This was Omar Ray's question, one that many here were asking. How would you fix income inequality in the United States? We took it to the dining room table of South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Does that sound like what you've been hearing on the campaign trail? Yeah, absolutely. I think what people are seeing is a president who says the economy is doing great, just look at the stock market. And a lot of folks are around the country and, and around here in South Bend saying, well, what about me? What would be the number one thing you would try to do to address some of those issues? Certainly a higher minimum wage. Increasing access to unionization so that people can bargain for higher wages, not just the minimum wage. Uh, making sure that people can get uh, the kind of support that they need uh, in terms of health, uh, sick leave. The Midwestern mayor supports a wealth tax. He wants guaranteed paid family leave. And for the national minimum wage to grow to $15 an hour. The same time this is all going on and all these little comments you just heard went on. Democracy thrives with Democrats. Washington Post endorses 16 candidates. How many are Republican? Anybody? None. 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 The Post began endorsing president candidates in 1976. This is who they've picked. Carter, Mondale, Clinton, Gore, Kerry, Obama, Clinton. They sat out the 88 election. No Republicans for president. On Tuesday, the paper endorsed Democrat Dan Helmer in Virginia, Democrat Joshua Cole in the House District of 28, John J. Bell in 13th. 
The Post endorsed Democrats supported Karen Keyes, Gamara, Rachel Sizemore Heiser, Aber Omish, Megan McLaughlin, Ellen Tholen, Melanie Marin, Ricardo Anderson, Karen Corbett Sanders, Carrie Fryce, Stella Petarski, Steve DeSando, Amy Ashworth, Buda Bajarda, and the lone non-Democrat endorsement is Fairfax School Board Spring District candidate Kyle McDaniels. Why? He quit the Republican Party. In 2009, the paper endorsed Democrats 22 of 26 races. 14 of those 26 endorsed candidates lost. I've, I've said it on the show. There's graphic proof. Never have I heard the Washington Post, New York Times, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, MSDNC, nobody's ever said anything about conservative candidates. Ever. Unless they quit the Republican Party or were conservative independent and we're going to caucus with the Democrats. Here's Martha McCallum. Uh, it's a sickening and wicked scandal. And ABC News has to hire an independent investigator to get to the bottom of this. And they have to answer one big question. How many children were raped in the last three years since they spiked this story? Because... As Amy says, she had witnesses, she had victims, she had photographic evidence with the Bill Clinton connection and a British royal family connection. And ABC News said that that did not meet their editorial standards. What are those standards? I want them to come clean because they went after Brett Kavanaugh with 40-year-old hearsay, with no corroborating witnesses, no evidence, and a lot of that was furnished by Michael Avenetti a scoundrel, a bankrupt tax cheat who brought forth gang rape allegations with no evidence. So what were those standards that allowed that to get on air? I'd like to know. And it looks like the play was, we don't get access to royal family interviews on GMA. Yeah. Yeah. Please. And you're not going to go protect children who are allegedly being sexually assaulted by God knows who and God knows where. And this is the Disney company, the Disney company. It's sick. Yeah, I mean, and the suggestion that nobody knew who Jeffrey Epstein was. I mean, I don't know who these people are, right. but Jeffrey Epstein was, you know, linked to many powerful people for years. I mean, I, he wouldn't be a household name necessarily, but that the executives at ABC in New York City had no idea who he was, I find very difficult to believe. I mean, it also smacks of a lot of similarities of what we saw with the Weinstein story. Right. And I think that these institutions, these corporations need to ask themselves, who are we and what are we when this story comes to us and we don't air it? I mean, Roberta, the, Virginia Roberts, you know, that story on, on what she had alone, the pictures she had of her and her story. How many stories do you see on ABC and NBC and everywhere where it's just, you know, this is her story. This is what she says. You know, you can back it up. You can investigate the other side of the story and say that we can't corroborate this. There's a lot of ways to get at a story like that. And as you rightly point out. None of those hoops were jumped through with the Brett Kavanaugh story. No, and ABC just got in big trouble for putting on fake Syrian war footage. Instead, it was a gun range in Kentucky. That doesn't look good. But also, this isn't being mentioned, but Hillary Clinton three years ago was in the midst of a presidential campaign. And if ABC 
drops a devastating blow against her husband in the midst of this campaign, that's going to blow back big on ABC News. Remember, they thought Hillary was going to win the White House, and they didn't want to jeopardize that relationship. They wanted to be on the right side of history. Now they're on the wrong side of history, and it's a tragedy if this is true. Yeah, I mean, it also starts to raise those questions again. We've had sort of three different data points this week of people raising questions about whether or not Jeffrey Epstein took his own life. And when you go back and you look at this and you look at the people and, you know, that some of the names that you mentioned who, you know, we know were on, on the plane and went to the island. We have no, you know, there's no evidence um, about none of these women have said that they were with Bill Clinton. But it's, you know, part of the story that he was on that plane. Um, absolutely. So it raises questions about whether or not somebody had him killed. Michael Bodden went on uh, and he is, you know, full disclosure, he's doing work for Jeffrey Epstein's brother, but he's a very renowned uh, forensic, uh, forensic scientist. He said that he saw signs that he, he was perhaps that he took his, that he didn't take his own life. Everybody with common sense, Martha, knows that Epstein did not kill himself. Everybody knows that. This guy was wanted by many people. He was accused of blackmailing people. Remember, he had a picture of Bill Clinton Absolutely. in a blue dress, oil painting Painted an in oil his mansion. In his house, which is so weird. Right. So check the flight records. We want to see who was on that plane. Interview the pilot. These are questions that I think we need answers to. And the Department of Justice says they're doing an investigation yeah. into what happened to the prison. Because remember, the video cameras went down that we're looking at Epstein's cell. That just doesn't happen crazy. randomly. Yeah, there's too many crazy things there. We've got to dig into it more. But after another big week of testimony in the House's impeachment inquiry, the evidence may be tilting in the Democrats' favor, but the uh, calendar is arguably not. It's already November. 2020 is fast approaching. We've had a parade of private depositions, but we are seemingly still weeks away from public hearings. Speaker Pelosi told Bloomberg News today that she assumes public hearings will begin this month. But we're likely at least a month away from a key court ruling, which could determine if other high-profile witnesses, say like John Bolton, will be compelled to testify or not. And after the public hearings are done, a Senate trial could take weeks, meaning Democrats are going to have to start thinking about convincing the public that somehow Congress is in a better position to determine the president's fate than the voters are, and they are going to have to make that case in an election year. And that could be a tall task, made perhaps even taller by the fact that some Democrats like Pete Buttigieg, are arguing that maybe it's best for uh, them if voters decide, not Congress. And yesterday's near-party-line House vote, combined with new polling on impeachment, only heightens the dilemma facing Democrats. Because the country is divided on impeaching and removing Mr. Trump. And his right flank is once again largely holding, despite all the damning evidence and testimony against him. Democrats have said they're proceeding with impeachment to save the republic. But they've also warned that a failed impeachment could make things worse. Bottom line, the facts in the impeachment inquiry are daunting for Republicans. But right now, the politics and the calendar are just as, if not more, daunting for the Democrats. I think on one hand, Democrats can make the quid pro quo case. But they, can they make the case so well that they can convince the public that he shouldn't be on the ballot, right? Do, do they have to prove, like... Not just beyond doubt, but a, a, a much higher bar. <clears throat> Speaker Pelosi foresaw this. That's why she tried to stop it. So it's very divisive. It's, it's probably not going to work unless you have bipartisan buy-in. They don't have bipartisan buy-in. I'm pretty convinced that at some point the Senate Republicans, who are the more uncomfortable defending the president, are simply not going to defend him anymore, but simply say, let's let the voters decide. It's an, it's an easy thing for voters to agree to.
right? Like, how do Democrats overcome that messaging? David Brooks today sort of, he noted, and I, I think he was right. He's like, you walk around Washington, you think, oh, my God, I don't know if the president's going to survive. The second you step outside of it, you're like, oh, uh, what the hell are they doing? Let me put up, he says, for most, impeachment, he's talking about voters outside of Washington. For most, impeachment is not a priority. It's dull background noise. People in Washington and national media doing the nonsense they always do. A pollster can ask Americans if they support impeachment, and some yes or no answer will be given. But the fundamental reality is that many Americans are indifferent. I think you see evidence of that even on the campaign trail on the Democratic side of the aisle. We see it in Iowa. Chuck, good morning. Always good to see you. You guys are going to roll out a new NBC Wall Street Journal poll on your program. We've got a sneak peek here, and it's a poll that reflects a lot of the polling we've seen on the question of impeachment. And this is, should Congress impeach and remove the president from office? Split nearly down the middle in this country. As I said, other polls have shown something about the same um, testimony from Colonel Alexander Vindman this week, seen as damning to the president. And looking ahead to this next week, we could see... The national security advisor, the former national security advisor, John Bolton, giving a deposition to these congressional committees. What does it all add up to? And do you think we'll see Bolton in that seat this week? I don't think we're going to see Bolton in that seat this week. I mean, I think Bolton has made it clear he, he, he's not voluntarily doing anything. Right. But uh, his lawyer is basically saying, you know, they'll honor subpoenas. Um, and they certainly are trying to wait to find out. Um, do they have to honor the executive privilege that the White House is claiming or a congressional subpoena? So I think he's going to let the, let the, um, the legal uh, wrangling go first. But let's go to the poll. Yeah. You know, it's interesting here. I think this sets up, to me, a, a higher hurdle for the Democrats um, than just proving the case. Uh, in some ways, the case is the easy part for them. But what our poll shows is there is a much higher bar in order to convince people he should be removed from office. And I think that's the real challenge in the next couple of weeks. It is not going to be laying out the case. It's going to be making the case that it is so egregious what he did, Willie, that he has to be removed from office before voters get a chance to have a say. And I think that is, that is what, what is setting up as the very high hurdle now that Democrats may have to clear, simply because Republicans have chosen to politically stay united around this president. Yeah, and that's kind of the argument you've started to hear from Republicans, actually. Yes, but not impeachment. Right. He went out and tried to find some voters, guys, to talk about impeachment. We had to bring it up to them. Here's what they told us. And I think it's a waste of time. We're a bunch of little kids fighting and not accomplishing what the hell they're elected for. I think uh, we have a system to checks and balances, and the way it should work is that, uh, you know, the House and the Senate should do what is set out in the Constitution. I read the document, and it's there was absolutely nothing um, concerning to me. One president to another was absolutely appropriate. Helene, these were in the early states. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are. The back soundbite is them going out and talking to people and realizing that's the best they could get to go negative. Because you know it's NBC. The only time they talk to Trump voters is when they try to point out, why are you still a Trump voter? Not actually be a voter. Then they ran a poll, 49% say it's supposed to be. Brian Seltzer, only 31%. Strongly approved, but it's still a priority. And somebody points it out. The fine print in the garbage NBC poll matter. The poll is plus eight Democrat. NBC is polling adults, not likely voters. The poll sample size reflects a 43-35% tilt towards Democrat. What have I said over and over? 
They always tilt it. A fifth of those surveyed are not even registered to vote. This is despite NBC trumpeting the results as demonstrating that 46% of registered voters are determined to vote for Trump or vote Trump out. Every poll, you have to look at the inlays. You can find it in the print. It's always plus damn. This one's low, 8. Usually it's 13. That is a huge swing. And he points out rightly so. Registered voters and just adults, you could get a 18-year-old kid. Of course they're going to say. Greg Jarrett, this so-called whistleblower is not a whistleblower under the law. As I first explained in a column six weeks ago, hence he is not entitled to identity protection. He doesn't qualify. He's an undercover informant and a dem operative who was spying on Trump and working with Schiff. Schiff has been hiding his identity, obstructing all questions about him in order to conceal the evidence of how this informant colluded with Schiff and his staff to invent a pretext to impeach the president. This is the malignant force I write about in my book, Witch Hunt. And it's true. Then people went and looked at Mark Ziad, who is the attorney pushing all this shit. It's very scary. We will get rid of him, and this country is strong enough to survive, even him and his supporters. We have to. I vote we get rid of him. Anyone else with me? Hashtag mega get rid of Donald Trump. Hashtag coup has started. First of many steps. Hashtag rebellion. Hashtag impeachment will follow ultimately. He was retweeting Jake Tapper's tweet. That's the guy prosecuting this. And then lastly, before we go into our lighter fare, Rob Schneider t- sent this. And I think it's an important thing for all of us, all of us, including yours truly, to start thinking about. Unfortunately, people in California would vote for a bowl of shit if it had a D next to its name. That's the partisanship we're talking about. For me, said on the show, I don't vote for Marsha Blackburn. She's a piece of fucking shit. I don't care if she's got an R. I voted for independents. I voted for Democrats. I voted for anybody. That's what's wrong with our country. When you straight party line all the time, you are just fucking feeding into this. Unqualified pieces of fucking shit running our country. So there's our impeachment and ABC. Our lighter fare, Richard Madden, the kid doing the worm behind a cost is the best thing I've seen all day. I wish I could fucking play this, but it's, there's nothing. There was somebody mocking him as he was setting up, and he was looking at his notes, and it was just long enough for they cued him in that he was on the TV and there was a kid doing the worm. But the best of the week and the funniest thing of the week was I didn't watch Monday Night Football, but I woke up and heard it the next day. The Westwood One guy, and I don't know his name. I'm sorry I didn't get it. The call of the black cat during the Giants-Cowboy game. Sweet God, this is just priceless. Oh, there's a cat, and a black cat is taken. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side. 
from the 39 in Dallas. Here's a short throw down the Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the clear way, and so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25 yard line of the Dallas Cowboys. It's a 15. Now the cat has stopped. At the so is it bad luck for the Giants? Or bad I don't luck know, for the... no, no, but they've stopped playing. The players with hands are watching the cat run and zigzag all over. The black cat is at the other end of the field. He's black at the cat eight. doesn't know that it was last it was Halloween. Thursday night right, football, yeah, not Monday night football. It's a little bit late. Now he is sitting, <laughs> hooking. Now he's at the five. He's Who brought walking. the cat? He's walking to the... Th- he's at the two... And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CD people who get it now. A policeman, a state trooper on the field. And the cat runs into the end zone. That's down. And the cat kind of like Barkley and Elliott. But he didn't know where to go. Look at they're trying to corner. And they got him in the end zone. There are troopers all around this cat, which is up into the stands. Fans are running for their line. Now it goes back on the feet. And it's running in the back of the end zone. And it runs up the tunnel. <laughs> and our This Is America NBC guest, the Ukraine ambassador situation is way worse than Hillary and Benghazi. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. Let's start there with a first look at the closed door testimony in the impeachment probe. Among the many revelations, ousted U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine Marie Yovanovitch told lawmakers during her October deposition she felt threatened by President Trump after it was revealed that he told the President of Ukraine that she would, quote, go through some things. She was asked during the deposition, what did you understand that to mean? She replied, I didn't know what it meant. I was very concerned. I still am. Did you feel threatened? Yes, she replied. Mind blown. And remember a time when everyone was really concerned about Benghazi and did the State Department, did Mm -hmm. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, did the Obama administration do enough to protect Ambassador Stevens and the other diplomats serving at that hardship post? And we literally had the President of the United States targeting an ambassador. You had the threat coming in from the desk. At the State Department, diplomatic security, what are they just being left out there, you know, protecting an ambassador and left out high and dry? This is just, it is, it's criminal. Yeah, um, somebody perceiving Trump to possibly be threatening them because they just don't like Trump is exactly the same as dead contractors on a roof in a country where the President of the United States and the Secretary of, Secretary of State let them die because they didn't want to ruin or release what they were doing in Syria, which then led to a bunch of people getting weapons and us getting ISIS. Yeah, that's the same. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same. Good job. Good job with your partisan fucking... I, I think they go on TV every day. How can I come up with some crazy-ass shit? I truly believe that. How can I come up with the most heinous Trump shit? 
And when it's on Morning Joe or MSNBC for ratings, they just say shit to piss people off because they know conservatives will pick it up like me, play it, and people might tune in. But every day it's that. I mean, the, the little lead in, not all punches are moral, um, not are, not all punches are the same morally. And all white people, usually radicalized, white supremacists, are the real terrorists. Every day they say shit like that. And they get away with it. But if you say it on Fox, they lose their fucking jobs. Dude said that it fucking, fucking Greta Thunberg was a mentally ill kid. A factual statement. He's banned from Fox. Can't go back on. So I'm just not talking out my ass. It, it, you just can't get away with that shit. You just can't. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments about the track by email to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. FOP podcast at gmail.com you get the show on soundcloud podcast Attic, tune in radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher and pocket cast remember to check out the facebook page at fop podcast and our twitter page at fop tony reed so we're going to go with the next podcast um let's see my mouse is acting a fool where's my mouse there we go um i actually didn't look at the calendar let's go with um the 12th Let's go 12 November, Year of Our Lord 2019 will be our next podcast. And I'm going to flip it back. Done like two or three of this backwards. We'll go politics first, then the fun stuff. Make sure you stay warm out there. A lot of cold weather here. Hopefully that Tuesday I'll be in the bunker with snow on the ground. Um, That morning the high is going to be like 13 degrees. So we're, we're definitely in winter down here. Uh, south of the Mason-Dixon line. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah-yes. Spend some time with your family. It's the holidays, for Christ's sake. And tune in Tuesday for another signing episode. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count.